0: We watch far too many movies, Brian. What do you mean, Chris? Well, imagine this Twinkie is the average human capacity for film viewing. Looks delicious. To represent our viewing capacity, this Twinkie would have to be 40 feet long and weigh 700 pounds. That's a big Twinkie. Did you just eat the visual aid to my analogy? No. <sighs> At least there's still beer. Ooh,
1: Twinkie-flavored beer? The streams, digi-files, bustin' and digital noise make me feel good. We are here to sound off into the cyber cacophony and pour into your ear sockets our recommendations for which Blu-rays and DVDs are worth your time and dollars. I'm your host, Brian Salisbury, a guy reliving a single day over and over. It just happens to be the first day I got my Blu-ray player. <laughs> and I am joined by my co-host and co-ho- ah, Excuse me. I'm joined by my co-host, my cohort, Christopher Lawrence Cox, a man who once tried to drill a hole through his head. It's true.
0: I did. But I don't know if try is the appropriate word.
1: I guess it would have worked if I hadn't stopped.
0: It's called trepanning,
1: Brian. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know there was a term for it. It,
0: There actually is. Yes, there actually is a term for it. Uh, No, in fact, I am often mistaken by some for the uh, fungi molds and spores that Egon Spengler collects.
1: Ah, right on. You're just like a sort of conglomeration of those things exactly
0: and a batman villain on my side it, you know it's a part-time job
1: the most disgusting batman villain of all time <laughs>
0: hey he's a fun guy oh
1: wackety schmackety the joke's old it's an antique
0: um i i just want to throw out here real quick god i'm so sad yeah i mean
1: it sucks i mean we're we're obviously making a lot of references to uh egon and to harold ramus because unfortunately he passed away the other day and i gotta say this fuck 2014 already fuck this year We've lost too many great people this year, and it's only February, and Harold Ramis, unfortunately, is the latest. And you talk about a guy whose career is so essential to us understanding funny.
0: Yeah, but we'll get get more into that in just a little while.
1: (laughs) Yes, indeed. I want to remind you that Digital Noise, like uh, like all of our content on One of Us, is available on iTunes. Just search for One of Us in the podcast section. You can also follow the show on Twitter, at DigiNoiseCast. That's at D-I-G-I NoiseCast. And we, the website, is available on Facebook for your liking at facebook.com slash oneofusnet. And hey, if you do like us so much, why not become a subscriber? You can give $1 to $25 every month or just make a one-time donation and you can cancel at any time. That is the way that we are able to continue to provide you content for free.
0: And you want that.
1: You do want that. Believe me, you want that. Don't make us uh, Don't make us get persuasive.
0: Yeah, I'll totally let the shadow cross over my face and my eyes will get all glowy and I'll be like, you want to be a subscriber?
1: Oh, I was just going to roll around on the floor kicking and screaming. That's what I meant by being persuasive.
0: Where's my phone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's not the droid I'm looking for. That
1: is not the droid <laughs> you're looking for. Uh, yeah, so it's time to reach out to the Innosphere and receive transmissions from you, the listener. It's the part of the show where we crack open that most questionable of coffers we call... The letterbox. You've got mail. Yes, thank you, Torgo. The letterbox. And our first question today is very appropriate from uh, Blair Regenwetter. Favorite Harold Ramis movie. Again, this entire episode is, is dedicated to Harold Ramis.
0: Look, there's a lot of good movies to choose from. The man was a, was a triple threat. He was a writer, wrote a ton of movie classic movies. Uh, he was an actor who appeared in a ton of classic movies and he was a director, who directed a ton of classic movies, often with a lot of crossover obviously. Um if I was going to say just the one that I think is my favorite, it's always going to be Ghostbusters because that's the one that's had the most amount of impact on me in my life. Sure. I, mean, I watched that probably 15 times in the theater. I don't even know anymore, like over and over and and I un Impossible amount of times on Betamax. Um, but I think his best movie though is Groundhog's Day. That's yeah. the, the most, the best written, the best directed. Uh, he did not direct Ghostbusters. That was Ivan Reitman. He just co-wrote it and starred in it. He did in fact direct, uh, Groundhog's Day and, and wrote it with Danny Rubin. And I just, I think that that's a, it's one of those, ones, I didn't realize the first time I saw it, what a masterpiece it really is. Yeah. It's such a masterpiece that every genre television show has done an episode that ripped it off.
1: Yeah. And it's (laughs) funny. You you get so fixated on on Bill Murray's shtick that you don't really notice sort of the very philosophical story that's going on. And and, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, You get like really funny comedy mixed with like, uh, you know, some some not schlocky sentiment and some good philosophy so yeah great stuff and one of bill murray's finest roles pre i'm serious and work with wes anderson now bill murray
1: sure i think my favorite movie and this is one that he co-wrote that ivan reitman also directed is meatballs from 1979 and this is a very early sort of set the standard for a lot of the camp movies And i don't mean movies that are campy i mean movies specifically set at a summer camp uh bill murray playing the the very sarcastic, very snide, uh, you know, as we would expect, Camp Counselor. However, he's got such a huge heart in that movie, probably more so than anything else we've ever seen him in. And I i just found it so appealing and I, I laughed so heartily. And it was a film that I feel like kind of got lost a little bit to the ages. And uh, it's true.
0: Somehow that got along with all the comedy classics from that period with SNL alumni. That's the one a lot of people today don't really know about. Yeah. And it is really a classic. I mean, that's a... Defining one for just that that setup, the summer camp comedy setup. I mean, that was like that was the movie, and there's a hundred and fifty others that are just shadows of yeah. what that is.
1: And then, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Caddyshack, which was uh, uh, Harold Ramis's directorial debut. And you want to talk about a launching pad movie? Chevy Chase and Bill Murray are two of the people that defined comedy in the '80s, and that movie, Reitman's basically created the launching pad for both of them in 1980 with Caddyshack. And I, you know, it's it's one of the most quotable movies of all time. And it's one that I go back to again and again and again and again. And it
0: kind of introduced Rodney Dangerfield to a new generation at the Definitely. time as well, as did Back to School again quite a few years later, which was also something that, that Harold Ramis was
1: involved with. Yeah, it's I mean, again, like there would be the, the only person I was I was writing an article about this. The only person I feel has made as big a contribution to 80s comedy as Harold Ramis is John Hughes. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge compliment to both of those artists. Yeah.
0: People don't realize the degree to which he was involved with the classics. I mean, he wrote National Lampoon's Animal House, which is like the defining college party movie. (laughs) I don't know if there's ever been a better one. No. It's so good. He wrote, like you said, Meatballs, Caddyshack Stripes, which is so, another one of those movies a lot of people today haven't seen or missed somewhere, but that movie is Hold Your Stomach Laughing Funny.
1: And National, he directed National Lampoon's Vacation. Like, to talk about another vehicle for Chevy Chase. Like, he, he spent his whole career kind of being the muse of these two guys and, and really allowing them to shine. And I, I just – I feel like we've really lost something in this.
0: Yeah, we really did. And 69 is way too young to go yeah, out. Oh, absolutely it is. Man, such a such a great guy, such a funny guy. Um, I, I – I, I wish we could have he, – he kept working and doing good stuff till the end. He even wrote – co-wrote with Dan Aykroyd Ghostbusters, the video game, which was actually pretty damn good. Yes, it was. <laughs> so, yeah, a very sad day, but definitely a tip of the hat and a, a little bit of the bottle pouring out on the ground for Harold Ramis, one of the legends of comedy.
1: I'm going to eat several more Twinkies in his honor.
0: That sounds like a great idea. Hand me one of those Twinkies.
1: There you go. So our, our next question comes from uh, Boyd Atkins IV, longtime listener. He says do you guys ever order replacement blu-ray cases for titles you purchase if you do not like them? This is you know this seems uh, may seem like an odd question to feature except that I I wanted to say that it's always a good idea to keep extra. There are several companies online where you can get a bunch of empty blu-ray cases for very little money and I think and you know it, it's I'm of the opinion that it's always a good idea to have them around the house because it's not so much a matter of Uh, whether or not you like the blu-ray case that you get, but sometimes it arrives, especially if you do a lot of things you order through the mail, it arrives damaged, or you're trying to get it out of the plastic and you accidentally slice part of the, the actual, um, I don't know if it's like acetate or whatever on the front that holds the, the slip, the slip cover. You need something that you can just kind of quickly swap out because if you don't have that, you kind of feel the impulse to get rid of it entirely. And that's obviously a waste.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, I haven't really thrown away any Blu-ray ones that were damaged because of that, but uh, I, I have a couple times substitute it out and put the whole thing in a D old DVD case. I used to, you remember when you used to get the AOL things in the mail all the time? Yeah. You get the whole case? I just immediately throw all the shit in it out and just keep the blank case in case I needed it. I got stacks of that shit, of stuff you got handed at conventions and all sorts of stuff. You're like, throw out all the shit, keep the case. You never know when you might need it. Yeah, yeah, I guess ideally I'd prefer to have a Blu-ray case, certainly. It'd look more attractive on the shelf, but eh.
1: And you do run into those situations though where like certain companies don't have their shit together and they send you like the whole first season of a show crammed into like one case and it's like this is not right. So you can actually order not only regular Blu-ray cases but the Blu-ray cases that actually have the folds in the middle that have multiple discs. Yeah. Actually the the reason I chose to feature this question is because a box of them arrived at our house today. Luke Mullen buys these things all the time. So uh I think it's it's a very handy thing that Uh, even people who have a lot of Blu-rays don't necessarily make practice of Yeah. and I feel like it's something you probably should so,
0: hooray, questions! (laughs) Yay, thank you for asking your questions please take a look in the future on the oneofus.net Facebook page, where you'll be putting up Brian will be putting up a post there when we're asking for your questions, that'll probably be up sometime next Sunday or so Sunday or Monday, so uh, take a look for that if you want to ask us questions and uh, well, I guess we should Get Torgo to close that letterbox already. He's letting all the, the hot air out.
1: Torgo, close the letterbox! Thank you, Torgo. And, uh, yeah, no reason to stand on ceremony any longer. I think it's time to dive right into the reviews.
0: Help, I'm ceremony. I can't breathe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, ceremony. You're my favorite. Uh, as you know, as we do with every episode, all of the things we talk about, there will be icons, there will be thumbnails featured on the post on oneofus.net. You can click on those icons. It will take you directly to Amazon.com. Even if you don't buy that particular item, if you get to Amazon via our links, anything you buy, we actually get a cut of that. And we really appreciate that. That really helps uh, support the website.
0: And don't forget, while you're on Amazon, if you buy something through there that we've recommended to you, please leave a comment on that Amazon page. And... Take a second in your review of it to tell them about where you found out about it, and so many other great titles. Because it'll just redirect new traffic back to Digital Noise, and uh, basically ensure that the site and the show will keep on going from here till you know long after it has any importance in the grand scheme of things.
1: It will augment <laughs> us, nation. <laughs> so there's that. Anyway, this week we're going to start with Thor: The Dark World, which is of course the uh, the second Thor movie. The Second film in Marvel's Phase 2 that came out earlier, or uh, actually last year, uh, in November. So, Thor The Dark World, here we go. Okay, no I'm-tho-Thor puns, first off. Did did I say anything? I'm just telling you. You don't need to hammer me over the head with those, I didn't even make that pun. God's sakes. (laughs) <laughs> Can we just go to
0: the lightning round on this one?
1: <laughs> no, we cannot because uh, I'm not overly fond of what follows.
0: I am not happy about us reviewing this at all. Let me just say that right now, off the bat, because I will say that uh, for whatever reason, Disney, ever since Disney acquired Marvel, suddenly they just don't want to send out these discs to press at all.
1: Well, they don't want to. They don't want to send out the releases uh, at the like at the very most anymore. They're willing and and I I'm a, you know normally I don't. I don't like bitching about kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff, but this is a problem. Yeah. Because Marvel, like, Disney Marvel is not a company that's strapped for cash. No. No. And there's a
0: lot of people, like sites like us and Before a Spill, that have been supporting like crazy the Marvel film universe and all of its releases since day one, since before day one of all this stuff. Them turning on the press is kind of biting the hand that feeds you in a way, and I don't know, I, I, I find the whole thing kind of arrogant, quite frankly.
1: So what they're doing now is, you know, if they deign to send you anything, it's usually a coaster. It's literally just the disc. None of the packaging, nothing. It's it's uh, it's just a plain disc in a sleeve, and uh, you know normally that's we we, we want to you know talk about the whole package. We want to talk about how what it looks like, how it sits on the shelf, all that stuff. So we kind of opt out normally of reviewing things that we just get sent the disc of. But they kind of got tricky on us with this one, where it was they didn't send an email saying if you would like to request a copy of this, you know reply. It was the email said. If you don't want a copy of this, you'd better tell us right now because we're going to send it. But if we do send it, we expect a review. So it was almost like extortion in a way. <laughs> Here's the <a> review. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> that being said, uh, I liked Thor: The Dark World the movie quite a bit. Uh, it's uh, it's not it's not quite in terms of quality for me anyway on, on par with the first one. But I really enjoyed it as a um, as sort of a, a further exploration of the of the the things that were introduced in the first one, kind of the the worlds of of Valhalla and Earth, and we definitely spend a lot more time in Valhalla on this one. But the epic kind of climactic battle takes place on Earth. So I kind of like the way that they they tipped the scales a little bit in in the direction of Valhalla Valhalla. Am I right? That's uh, not Valhalla? right. Valhalla. Yeah. No, no, no. It's uh, it's Valhalla. Uh, no, 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 no. That's that's not actually where Asgard. this takes. Asgard. Yeah. Shit. Anyway.
0: Svartalheim.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of actual Norse mythology. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Asgard. No, like
0: Asgard is actual Norse mythology. Is it really? Yeah.
1: All right. Well, yeah. Asgard is where this movie takes place mostly, and uh, not Valhalla. Yeah, it's, it was
0: nice to see. Like one. All right. So one of the things people complained about the first Thor, and I thought unjustly, was that they were like Asgard's so cool. We just want the whole movie to be there. Okay, but that's not the movie you got. You go and you got to see a lot of it and then you got to see more stuff going on that was pretty cool. You got some character based stuff. For me, the original Thor really worked well. It was a nice little balance introducing little touches of romantic comedy, a chance to have the classic Thor story where he was an arrogant, you know, golden haired son of a bitch until he learned some humility. Mm-hmm. I thought they sold to- they sold that story quite well. Although, once again, like, is common for more Marvel movies than not. The villain was not entirely the most threatening... Was not the high point of the whole film. Like, when you get the final battle, it's not the best part of the movie. Um, whereas the final battle in this is definitely, I think, the best part of the movie. But the main villain himself is one of the weakest in the entire of the
1: Marvel Universe. Which is funny, because I... I spent so little time focusing on him because by the time we get to the second Thor movie... Loki is a huge mainstay within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I, all I'm fixated on is like, what is Loki going? Well, that's to That's the thing.
0: The biggest attraction in this film is indeed Loki, who they actually expanded his role in this movie because they had no idea people were really as in love with him as they are now. I, and, and boy, just you know, guys want to be him, and, and girls want to, you know, yeah, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's got of everybody who's come up sort of new through these Marvel films. That's the guy who's going to be going on to even bigger and better things, I suspect. Tom, Definitely, Tom. Uh, what's his name Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Uh and he is not the villain here he is a he's a, a supporting character
1: he's antagonistic but not the antagonist no
0: the main antagonist here is the dark elf Malakath, who is played by uh, unrecognizably by Christopher Eccleston who, who exactly the first Doctor Who of the reboots and really he's just so bland and like this just he's just so generic he's like I'm destroy evil because I'm evil He's like, he's the reflexive property villain. (laughs) There's there's no depth to him of any kind. He's just uninteresting. And thankfully, the movie fills up with enough big special effects that are pretty impressive and that big ship at the end that is indeed really cool that it pulls the focus away from him. But even so, it's hard to get emotionally invested in this movie, except with what happens to Loki, Right. (laughs) which once again, you're like, I don't care about Thor and all that shit. What's going on with Loki?
1: Yeah, no, that's very true. And the... They come up with a sort of very nebulous explanation for all this. It's like it's literally, it's dark magic. It's like, well, that's that's convenient. Like, it's just it's dark magic. It's ether. Like it's literally called ether.
0: It's like the Marvel equivalent of of dark energy and dark
1: matter. It's like, yeah. oh, well, there's got to be dark yeah. magic too, right? <laughs> like as an actual physics. Just shut up. Marvel. Surprise! Abrams wasn't involved, and it was just like red matter, you know, right? But
0: or, or you know, un- it's made from unobtainium. <laughs> Uh, there were things that I – like I said, there were a lot of things I did not like about this movie, one of which I thought most of the fu- the humor was really awkward and misplaced. Uh, they really tried to force in Kat Dennings here, an actress I normally like, and they over-forced their hand on trying to throw her into a lot of scenes she had no business being in.
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there, although I don't, I can't agree on all of the humor. I think some of it was – uh, some of the stuff they did s- to kind of parallel with the tone of the Avengers movie, I thought worked really well. There's a great sequence with Thor riding the subway, which I thought was really funny. But yeah, the Cat Denning stuff was a little bit overdone.
0: As was the Stellan Skazgard stuff, as Dr. Elvik Selvig, who of course was the, uh, Jane Foster's mentor and fellow scientist, who we saw in the Avengers got taken over by Loki. And in here, kind of the running joke is, as they say, having a god in your head for a while creates some psychological problems. So he's all kind of sketchy and schizoid and it's a joke that they kind of drive into the ground and it makes him irritating to even be on screen but fortunately there's a lot of good stuff here too you get a lot more Idris Elba who's also a badass as Heimdall as he as he is in whatever he does let's face it yeah, pretty much. Uh, I found uh, Natalie Portman here was actually well used more than she wasn't here as both continuing as a love interest here but not being just that she figures in prominently into the plot in and of itself in a way that makes Thor's fate tied in with hers makes that sort of more interesting basically odin's like you know it's a guess who's coming to dinner situation
1: yeah (laughs) you know the thing i found really odd about this movie but not necessarily criticism against it is at so many times asgard was reminding me of hogwarts like, there were these... First of all, there's people apparating all over this movie. Oh, there's yeah. There's apparating everywhere.
0: Yeah, they, they teleport a lot.
1: But there's also the thing where there's, like, they open their history books and there's, like, moving pictures inside the books. And then their medical facility operates by magic and not by science. And there's just, like, where am I right now? I'm a little confused. Well,
0: that's the thing, is that, like, the the goal for the first one seemed to be to indicate that, like, it's when science is so advanced that it just seems like magic. Uh, and now they're good. They're pushing it to a point. It's like, okay, dude, no, that's just magic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> actually, that is just magic. I'm uh, just saying. For those of you playing at home.
0: Uh Yeah. I mean, also another big thing that came out here is Jamie Alexander is Sif is not just a side character character with a brief mention anymore. They're actually bringing her into the forefront. I suspect they want her to be a bigger character in this universe, period. I know she's going to be on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. soon ah. as a tie-in to this, so you know, trying to do what they can. Uh, Rene Russo as Frigga, uh, Odin's wife has a nice and, and a nice turn as well. But overall, I found that like the emotional balance of this movie was way off. It was, it was just a little uneven. And most of it felt like it was an answer to people who thought there wasn't enough punching in the first movie and they needed a lot more <laughs> in this one. But it's to the, it's, but it takes away from, like I said, any, any possible emotional impact from the plot, which is scattered. Uh, one interesting thing I thought they replaced the actor who plays Fandral, one of the Warriors Free with Zachary Levi, Levi, who, of course, is Chuck from Chuck the Series, and I, I knew it was him going into it, and I'm looking right at him, and I was still like, I swear to God, that did not look like him. Yeah, no, he
1: was pretty unrecognizable. I will say that what I appreciated about this movie is even though it's called Thor the Dark World, they walked that line really well of, of making it just dark enough to still be a Marvel movie, because I feel like there is a, a tendency for superhero films these days to be a little overly maudlin in order to achieve... You know, being that darker, edgier thing that that uh, that Christopher Nolan kind of established with the Batman movies. Sure. And I feel like they didn't lose sight in this movie of you know, even though it's called Thor: The Dark World, even though it's got some dark tinges to it, it's not it's not cumbersome with where it chooses to because go Because Marvel's,
0: Marvel's film universe's goal has clearly been bright, fun, leave feeling like you had a good time. Yeah. Uh, and th- even though, yeah, you're right, it's a little darker. There's certainly some uh, some. Uh, some bit pieces here with like character deaths and things like that that are pretty dark. Overall it manages to keep that comic booky tone that right. Marvel wants. To, yeah, it's like, look, we are a comic book movie. We're not the real world <laughs>
1: Thor. Yeah. You know. It's not called Thor the Real World. Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, that'd be interesting.
1: Yeah. People stop being polite <laughs> what and happens start being gods.
0: You put four teenagers and a god of Asgard together in a house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and they put him in the uh, the confessional. He's like, Do I look to be in a sharing mood? And he's like, No, no, sorry, dude. No, no. <laughs>
0: uh there's a lot of extras on here as you expect for these things uh including of course the always anticipated one shot videos where they do a new short movie uh, this time time about 14 minutes long that that is sort of a side story to the movies in this case it's called all hail the king that shows ben kingsley's trevor slattery his character from iron man 3 who's in prison and is sort of has gotten to the point where he's he's a celebrity in there everyone's kind of like go, hey man, you're awesome. <laughs> that kind of thing going on. But he's being interviewed by a guy, uh, to talk about his whole experience. And of course there's something sinister going on. And it's a, it's a amusing and it's got an amusing little twist. It's got a cool cameo in it. I don't think it's the best of the one shots, but it's, it's more like, this is here entirely for what I thought it was going to be there for when they first announced it. Yeah, it's called
1: this. Stop Bitching Already.
0: Yeah, Stop Bitching Already. For people who really are still upset that the Mandarin was not a real character in Iron Man 3, spoiler, which I still think is just the weirdest thing to get upset about. Hey, here you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is this – is, and it's funny to me, too, because I thought it was the kind of thing where if you really wanted – a different outcome from that character in Iron Man three, there was a very, very easy way to ration that there could be a different outcome. And I feel like this is, this exists to kind of point people to that direction. Like if you thought about it for 10 seconds, you may have come up with this.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's also of course, audio commentary. There is a, uh, a look at a brother's journey, Thor and Loki insert, touching touchy feeling music here uh deleted and extended scenes about eight minutes worth uh a look at the score and a uh preview behind the scenes at captain america the winter soldier oh yeah and there's a four minute gag reel as well so ultimately this is a pretty good package here for stuff I still think the movie itself is one of the weaker of the Marvel Universe films that they've put out since they've you know been phases, phase one, phase two. Uh, I put it, I'd probably put it with Iron Man two. I don't think it's a great movie, but it's still fun at points, and and it's certainly something I'll go back and revisit again.
1: But you really got to hand it to Marvel that the basement, the basement on their movies is Iron Man two, which I still don't really think is that bad a film. And, you know, when you're running the gamut from not that bad to truly great, yeah. you're doing something right.
0: Yeah, I mean, the bar is just so high for the Marvel films that one, when one at this point is less than absolutely fantastic, people talk about it like it's just movie 43 or can you, something.
1: Can you imagine this discussion we're having right now happening in the 90s? Yeah. Like, the bar is so high for Marvel superhero films. I know, we were
0: like, wait, what? What? <laughs> That's not a real thing. <laughs> that,
1: that Corman Fantastic Four movie that never came out? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> oh, well. Well, uh I think we're going to go ahead and move on from Thor The Dark World and into... Wadja.
0: Gazantite. Wadja. I'm sure it's not the first time someone said that. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I kept, when I was watching this, listening very carefully so I could remember how to say it, and it's already left me. It's like, what? It's like that. Wadja. Wajda. 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 W-A-D-J-D-A. Letters D and J and D are not supposed to go together like that, I'm just saying. But this is a Saudi Arabian German film, and it's notable for two reasons. One, it's the first feature film that was shot entirely in Saudi Arabia, which I find very surprising considering the amount of money in Saudi Arabia that no one thought, hey, let's make a whole movie And especially
1: hear all these, you hear stories about like Saudi princes and, you know, rich people from the Middle East who will go to like, can yeah. and buy movies and yeah. finance movies. It seems like,
0: wow, you really never, nobody built a studio in Saudi Arabia or anything. Uh, the other thing about this, and more notable, it's the first feature length film made by a female Saudi director. And certainly, Whoa. this is a movie about and from the viewpoint of women in Saudi Arabian society. Uh, it's won a bunch of awards and film festivals. Uh, it was selected as the Saudi uh, Saudi Arabian entry for the best foreign language film. In fact, the first time they've ever entered a film <laughs> uh, at the 86th Academy Awards, but it was not nominated. Although I, having seen it, I think it, I wouldn't have been surprised or disappointed off. It had been because this actually is, it's a, it, you're wondering where it's going, but when it, when it comes to the ending and when you, you've got the whole thing in front of you, you're like, wow, that was really nicely done subtly. But quite beautiful. Uh, the story here follows Wajda, <laughs> 11-year-old Saudi girl who's growing up in the capital, who wants – really, her dream is to own a bicycle. And this is obviously a society that is not really – doesn't really let women do things like ride bikes around.
1: How selfish do we feel right now that this woman's ultimate dream is to own a bicycle. Like, and it just... And it's not even Makes ma- me feel like such an asshole.
0: It's not even a matter so much of abject poverty. I mean, they're poor-ish, but not super poor. Uh, it's just... As her mother keeps reminding her and everyone else, w- women just don't ride bikes. That's not appropriate. It's not against the law. It's just considered to be wildly inappropriate. And this is a world where you can't – women can't go outside showing their faces, generally speaking, or at least in most places. There's certainly a sequence where Wajid's mother at one point is going to interview with her friend at a job at a hospital and sees her friend not wearing a covering at all and immediately just kind of turns around and leaves after saying something snarky to her. Wow. And you're like, wow, this is the, this is that world. Um, but this girl, she's, she's got an independent mind. She wears, she's the only kid who doesn't wear the requisite shoes at school. She wears bright colored Converse. I mean, she's obviously got, an I like in,
1: this girl already. She's
0: obviously got an independent streak and she's friends with a small boy in the neighborhood named Abdullah, uh, who, you know, basically they start off as a sort of pigtail pulling type scenario, but eventually we start to become friends and she wants to get a bike to race versus him on the bike. It's, you know, it's sort of a coming of age thing there going on, but it's also a sort of like this mark of, you know, someone defining who they are. Uh, but when she finds out that her school is having a contest to basically have to join this religious group inside the school and memorize a large parts of the Quran and answer questions about it, she, despite having no interest in that sort of thing at all, she decides to fake it and like, Pump herself up and teach herself to all this stuff as best as she can to win a a cash prize to be able to have the money for $1,000 to have the money to uh, buy this bicycle. Well, things never turn out how you think they're going to. (laughs) And- it's not, this isn't a movie that's filled with lots and lots of drama. Everything that happens is very sort of like just injecting you into this world and watching sort of for a girl like this growing up, which you can't help but identify with, who just wants to, she doesn't want to go out to punk rock show. She's not going to go join pussy riot. She just wants to, you know, <laughs> ride a bike. She wants to fucking wear a shoe. She doesn't see what the big deal is. Why can't she wear toenail polish? Why can't, why, you know, I mean, why are people yelling at her not wearing a, 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 you know, covering up her hair? it doesn't get overtly political. It's kind of like just trying to show this world from the viewpoint of a kid who has not, who doesn't understand the culture that she's grown up in, in her own way. And it's actually quite touching and beautiful about just showing the individuality of this young girl. It's And it's startling. That's actually made by a woman who lives in Saudi Arabia, made in Saudi Arabia. So I don't know. Is this a sign that maybe things are just starting to change? There's so certainly, if you believe what this movie has to represent, yes, mm-hmm. it is that there is, Un, a quiet unrest going on there among the women in Saudi Arabia. Be I mean, interesting certainly to see a documentary that focused more exclusively on this topic. But either way, this is a a nicely shot little film uh, with great actresses, and I really do recommend it.
1: I heard a lot of people talking about this in the context of sort of the best films of, uh, of 2013.
0: So 99% of Rotten Tomatoes, which is not a lot of movies get there. No, that uh, is no slight score. No, uh, no, it is, it is good. And it's not going to be, like I said, it's not a wildly dramatic film. It's one of those, like sit down, really watch it and, you know, slice a life of something. Mm-hmm. We rarely see a real slice of life or if ever. So, but more know.
1: dramatic for the implications based on the culture in which it takes place. Of
0: course. And to us watching it, it's, it's even more startling because it's like, wow, just the idea of growing up in a, a culture that these are the sort of things that are are put upon woman here i mean the fact like one of the subplots is that her her mother her husband is like barely ever there because so far she's only given birth to a daughter and has not been able to get pregnant again so that the husband's mother is bugging him to take a second wife and she, the wife's all the time time's like oh no he will not he wouldn't do that to me and you know as a viewer he's going to you see just enough to know this is coming right and it's just Boy, how startling is that, the idea that somebody in that situation can go, like, well, there's nothing you can do about it. I'm going to go get another wife because you Jesus. can't give me a baby.
1: Oy. Yeah.
0: That's messed up.
1: Indeed it is. Well, that is Wadya, Wadj- but Wadj- Wadj- I'm really not trying to be insensitive. I'm just terrible at pronouncing <laughs> this film's title. Wadja. Wadja. Wadj- Close enough. All right. And from there, we're going to move on to Gravity! Are we? Yeah, we're going to move on to Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity. Come on, man. Gravity sucks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. Not, not the movie. It's The I Force. get it. I get it. <laughs>
1: nice. Uh, so, yes, this is the film about the astronauts in space and what happens when you are pretty much just kind of adrift. Like, you're untethered. You're just floating around in absolute nothingness. Literally adrift. Yeah. Not even kind of. Not even kind of <laughs> adrift. Uh, yeah, so this is, it stars Sandra Bullock and George Clooney as two uh, NASA astronauts, uh, one of which, you know, Clooney's been... He's he's, uh, he's the veteran. He's been on a lot of missions before. He's kind of the expert of this thing. And then you have Sandra Bullock playing Dr. Ryan Stone, who... Uh, I mean, she's she's a science geek. She's a, she's a medical uh, technician, and she's up there. Uh, they're never really entirely clear on what it is that she's doing it has something to do with adding something to the hubble telescope yeah
0: ultimately the details of that are unimportant
1: it's unimportant because they're finishing up their mission and they get they get word that um there's been a satellite that's been shot down like kind of on the other side of the planet but the debris from it is uh it's it's picking up steam we're a little concerned about it and then it's like we're really concerned about it okay get the fuck back in the ship because something has gone really wrong and from there, it just plays out as a survival tale.
0: Yeah, it really, it's, it's all is lost in space. Yeah. Um, as Sandra Bullock surprisingly turns in what, what might be the performance of her career, uh, as, as this Dr. Ryan Stone character who's really, like she's up there because of her ex- expertise in her science, but being in space is not her strong point anyway, no. as, as we learned very early on. Whereas for George Clo- Clooney, he's an old, old hand at this, uh, but, it's not long before, like I said, she's on her own and having to use her intelligence and and control her her fear in order to get through the seemingly impossible scenario and survive. I found this in like moving and edge of your seat tense and just beautifully shot.
1: Yeah. no, this is one of my favorite films of the year without question. I, I think this is is one of the. This is one of the best things that Quran's ever done, and that is saying something, because that is a very celebrated career. And I I was completely blown away. It was one of those movies, it was one of the very few movies in my entire life that I've ever said to people, absolutely, positively see this in 3D.
0: Yeah, and in the theater. And in the theater. One one way or the other.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it was, you know, and I was actually a little worried, and the reason I I wanted to review this Blu-ray is that I was worried that a lot of the experience and a lot of that tension may have come from the theatrical experience. But I got to tell you, even on the small screen, and even though I knew what was going to happen, it was still very tense. I think they did such an amazing job of establishing all the stakes while at the same time having a single character move through them. While having a single character move through all the obstacles, It was it's really a, a, a feat of, of writing, of, of directing, and of obviously performance.
0: Well, it's all – all right. Addressing some of the criticism I've heard about this. First, there are those who have addressed the science and saying, well, the science isn't absolutely perfect. Don't care. Don't, yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> – You had to look for that. And I bet you some stuff you thought was wrong, you looked up, found was right, and then just kept looking for stuff that was wrong. Neil deGrasse Tyson, one of the greatest scientists alive today, said... Seriously, shut the fuck up. This, yeah. this movie is a great movie. Is the science perfect? No, but who cares? It's a great movie.
1: And I'm sorry, if you have to Wikipedia that to know whether it's right or wrong, then yeah. shut up. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't know any better than the filmmaker.
0: <laughs> uh, and two, some people have had problems with some of the emotional content here. Because ultimately, this is a film that is trying to connect with everybody. It really is. It's a wide audience pleaser. Of a that's, movie.
1: that's the whole reason that Sandra Bullock's character, while in space, is not an astronaut. She is a character that is in a world that's completely alien to her so that the audience can empathize her more directly than with somebody like George Clooney, who's done this over and over and over again.
0: Exactly. And there are some very, very human moments in here. Definitely. All too human moments that I think people came in expecting something different, perhaps, were taken aback by. But I'm like, did you have a problem with those moments in E.T.? It's, it's yeah. like I said, it's an audience pleaser. There's nothing wrong with a movie being that type of movie. It is not any less art for treading that ground. I hate to tell you.
1: Install Heart version 3.0 in your chest and then watch this movie again. Maybe that was the issue. I
0: I thought this was absolutely beautiful. I had I can't imagine anything to complain about this movie. Had so much fun with it. Is it implausible? Sure. But that's not the same thing as impossible. No. And that's the whole point, really. You don't make movies so much about situations where it's like, oh, sure, they could get out of that. Because... You don't. They're not as exciting. Yeah. The
1: characters struggle to survive is what keeps her, no pun intended, grounded. While the rest of the movie is, uh, you, it's hard to judge anything that happens in the rest of the movie because it's like how many of us have been in space? How many of us know what that's like? And I feel like there are things that you know, based on some of some of the science that does exist and some of the the accounts of astronauts that I feel like get really right. One of which being the silence. Yeah, there is a. Cataclysmic action sequence in this film With almost no sound And it is horrifying Because of that And I feel more accurate because of that But again, I have to speculate on the accuracy Because I am not an actual rocket scientist And neither are you Wait, I thought you were a rocket scientist Oh, no.
0: well, forget it. This movie sucks then.
1: <laughs> I go to Johnny Rockets for hamburgers a lot. Oh, I don't well, know that if that, that counts. That counts. counts. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'm a Johnny Rockets scientist. Yeah.
0: Do you know what's in the hamburgers? Uh, delicious. Okay. That's that's true. That's <laughs> I, was just test- I was just testing you.
1: <laughs> no, I, I love this movie. And, you know, there is was, there was a single shot in this film. It's, it's not even an action sequence. It's just a moment with Sandra Bullock that I found to be one of the most moving single scenes in any film of the year. And it was sort of this like weird rebirth scene that I thought was just brilliant. And one of the special features on this Blu-ray talks about, you know, how they were able to achieve it. And there was a lot of work that went into what seems like a really easy shot, but you have to remember 90% of this movie is digital. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they, they filmed the actors, they filmed the actors in like sort of versions of spacesuits. but a lot of what you're seeing on screen has been added digitally, which if I have a complaint with this, it's not a complaint about the movie. It's more a complaint about the Oscars. I'm kind of, taken aback by this movie, or I was at least when I, when I started watching the special features, I was kind of taken aback by this movie being nominated for best cinematography. And the reason for that is even as you're watching the special features, you see just how much of every, even the lighting in shots is added digitally. So it it just seemed a lot like they were crediting the wrong, like special effects, visual effects. Absolutely. Nominate the shit out of this movie. I just felt like the cinematography honors, especially when they snubbed somebody like Roger Deakins for prisoners, didn't make a lot of sense. But I will say, after watching the special features and seeing some of the ways that they improvised and innovated, creative ways to kind of blend the two mediums together, I'm kind of, I kind, of, I've kind of come around on it. I'm like, okay, well, I can, based on the work that you've done on this movie to combine cinematography and digital effects, I, I, I got to give you props for that.
0: I mean, ultimately, I, th- I feel like it's. Like about the entire mise en scene, the cinematography award. What is the complete image there? What is that? And I, you know, it's like I, to me, arguing, and this is just my my point of view on it. Is like arguing. Well, if you're shooting digital film, then that's that shouldn't count rather than celluloid. Well, no, you know?
1: I think I think that's a very different argument. I think sh- the method by which you're shooting is still shooting. I think you're still capturing an image, you know, via the digital camera. I think when the image is is completely fabricated, I think there is an argument to be made. That being said. I uh, I feel like it is, in this movie especially, a hand-to-hand process. I will be surprised, however, if this movie wins for Best Cinematography and they give it to just the cinematographer. I want to see a situation where this wins Best Cinematography and the cinematographer and the lead VizFX guy accept the award.
0: That would be cool. Because
1: that would be really groundbreaking. And appropriate. Yeah.
0: Uh, now, speaking of the special features you mentioned earlier, of course, there's a good amount of these on here. In fact, 107 minutes of a, uh, behind the scenes documentary, which goes all throughout the entire production. Of course, there's 37 minutes of scene specific, uh, featurette shot breakdowns. They call it. Where they just go how they did each and every one of them. Uh, there is a, uh, Ed Harris who uh, plays a very small vo- role in here, voice only in the movie. Uh, narrates a short documentary called collision point the race to clean up space that deals with the actual real crisis that is in fact going on in space Space garbage the movie yeah with all the debris out there uh and then the big thing here traction here is is anakak uh which is a short film by jonas kuran who i i think he's the brother of alphonse Mm -hmm. but it's Basically, at one point, you, uh, you, Sandra Bullock's character manages to contact someone on Earth who is an Inuit fisherman, and this is the story of that scene from the viewpoint of that fisherman on Earth and what's going on with him.
1: Really liked it, and, and this is going to uh, – bear with me for a second. I really liked this short until the end, not because of the content of the end, but because it kind of contradicted something that was said at the beginning of the short, and I didn't really understand what they were trying to achieve with it. That being said, I like that it's there. I like that we see the other end of that conversation. Cool. Yes, indeed. And yeah, this is overall, like, like I said, watching it at home, I didn't feel like I lost anything. I felt like experience as an experience. It is still very riveting, even on the smaller screen. Cool. Well, that is gravity. Now I'm going to let Chris talk about some cartoons.
0: Yeah, you got to talk about the cartoons. It's what I do. Watch a lot of cartoons because I'm a professional.
1: <laughs> let's start this a professional s- child. Oh, yeah,
0: exactly. Let's start this out with something I would never have probably sought out on my own. Bullshit. Although I did watch these when I was a kid, and that is the DC Heroes, the Filmation Adventures. You may ask yourself, what is that? I've heard of Filmation. Yeah, they're that company from CBS that from 1967, uh, well, for, for throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s that put out a lot of mediocre cartoons. <laughs> I mean, a lot. Although some of them had good writing to them. They recycled shit a lot and didn't spend <laughs> much money on animation. Uh, and these shorts here, which feature the Atom, uh, which is basically DC Universe's version of Ant-Man, um, uh, Green Lantern, and then Flash and Kid Flash. Seriously, you had to throw Kid Flash Kid Flash. In there? Flash. Yeah. There's, well, there's like eight Is he a gunslinger? There's like eight or nine different Flashes. I don't know if you know-
1: you No, that. I know there are different Flashes, but one of them is just called Kid Flash. Yeah. Oh boy.
0: Yeah. He, he's actually, uh, I believe he's the guy they call Speedy later who gets addicted to heroin in the comic books. Oh, good God. Yeah. And who's a girl in the, on the show Archer, I think. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not even sure. I can't keep track myself. Or no, wait. That's, I'm sorry. That's Green Arrow's kid. That's like his, his, his kid Archer. I
1: thought you were talking about the latest season of Archer on FX. And I was like, no, it's Pam that's addicted to. Arrow. Arrow, (laughs) not Archer.
0: I'm sorry. God damn it. I was like, wait, what? There's too much, like, continuity and too many things to keep track of, okay? <laughs> Is what it comes down to. But we're professionals, Damon. But these shorts came from the Superman Aquaman Hour of Adventure. Wait, was wait, what was on CBS from 67 to 68. So, I'm
1: sorry, Superman and Aquaman?
0: Yeah, like, <laughs> getting side-by-side billing. <laughs> wow, talk about your Superman! Top the your... man who can do anything! And Aquaman! Who can talk to fish.
1: He talks to fish. And
0: swim really fast. This is
1: like a a top and bottom adventure hour. (laughs) Right? Weird.
0: Guess which one's the bottom. Hey oh. Even on there even on the marquee. <laughs> it says Superman slash Aquaman. Ooh, slash fiction. I'm
1: also I'm also not going to point out the imagery of the logos on the Superman Aquaman Adventure
0: <laughs> Hour. Now said, this is not the Superman Aquaman Adventure Hour. These were the supplemental cartoons that were added because they would have like a Superman or and an Aquaman cartoon. This and is such there, a weird release. I know. And then there'd be a short from one of these. Like I said, this one is The Atom, The Flash, and Green Lantern. There's also three others that would be on the show, Hawkman, Justice League of America, and Teen Titans, which are not here, which is an example of Warner Brothers being really cheap, because this entire disc is an hour and three minutes long, which means it would have been all too easy to throw on the Hawkman, Justice League of America, and Teen Titans Titans episodes, but then they couldn't write on the disc, Volume (laughs) 1. Right. <laughs> it's like, really? They're not even spectacularly cleaned up or anything. They look okay, but it's not like they spent a shit ton of time fixing these up where it's like, oh, well, we had to get the money. No, they pretty much just slopped them out the disc and divided up the two in the hopes they're going to make that much more money. Kind of insulting considering these things are generally pretty fucking crappy. Yeah. <laughs> now, the Atom is in Invasion of the Beetleman, the Plant Master, the House of Doom. The Flash is in the Chemo Creature. Take a giant step and do catch a blue bolt. And Green Lantern is in Evil as Evil Does, The Vanishing World, and Sirena, Empress of Evil. I'm not sure any of these villains were actually DC villains. I think they may have been made up for the series. I'm not entirely sure. Either way, this is the sort of thing you put on for a joke if you work at a comic book store. You, If you're really curious about the history of superheroes and animation. um, I mean, it was entertaining for for an hour. If it had been much longer than that, I don't know if I would have kept with it. And even as it was, I was doing work while I was watching it, you know, like, okay, this is cute, but it's more of a footnote to history than
1: anything. Yeah, I was just thinking, I can't wait for Warner Brothers' uh, next release, which is Chuck Chunks, which are the commercials that played solely during the uh, breaks of the Chuck Norris Karate Commando show in 1986. Are they really putting that out? No, but that's about as ridiculous as this thing.
0: (laughs) Well, you know. I don't think there is a cartoon of the atom other than this. So there you go. Okay. One chance to see the atom. Not like you really needed to. Um,
1: I love that you mind the one reason for being of this entire set. (laughs) And you found an atom. You dug deep and you found an atom.
0: It's quaint and amusing in its own way. And there's certainly people who are really, who grew up with this stuff, who who were like, wow, I've always wanted them to release this stuff, who remember it fondly. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's just most people outside of nostalgia or a historical interest are not going to be really going out of their way to seek this out. Now, the other thing that we had to talk about here, as far as our animation, uh, section goes with superheroes is beware the Batman, which is finally coming out on DVD and Blu-ray, uh, considering it got canceled after one season. It's not surprising why it got canceled. I'll get into that in just a second here. Uh, this is volume 1 once again the first half of of the season presumably the second one will be following up not too long from now and the reason this came out on cartoon network and it did a very mixed uh reviews and one of the reasons right off the bat the fans in particular kind of came at this you know with claws out is that it's entirely cg animated um not the sort of thing after the history of DC's animated universe with Batman that anybody really wanted to see. I've seen some gorgeous animation from the past stuff. And this felt like a step backwards, quite frankly, in quality and just <laughs> watching it. I go, yeah, it really kind of is. Um, I believe this is the same people who did reboot, which was terrific.
1: Uh, oh, the, the, uh, like the digital animated show reboot Well, it's,
0: or some of the people involved anyway. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but either way, it's, you know, reboot was a product of its time. I don't Absolutely. think you can do it now. No. And, and this is just an example of why you couldn't do it now. It just seems silly. And they make it even worse by completely circumventing Batman's history to a point that is just, it's awkward. I mean, you've got uh, uh, his butler now is an MI6 operative badass. He looks like Jason Statham.
1: Oh, Alfred, no.
0: No, it's like,
1: really? <laughs> no, 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 and
0: now Batman also has a bodyguard who's like this female ninja who's who was I'm like, sorry,
1: let me stop you right there uh-huh. Batman has a bodyguard, yeah a bodyguard who protects Batman, I know, okay, yeah, I know i i uh... now,
0: if that's not bad enough, they decided they needed to go with villains that had never really been explored very much or at all previously in uh other versions, the multiple other versions of the Batman animated universes. Some of these, they went for newer stuff, like the things that, uh, that Grant Morrison created, which were interesting characters inside of his bizarre drug addled world, <laughs> like Professor Pig, who's a, who's a brutal character in the comics. And here, he's pretty much the character from Wind of the Willows with like a mildly nefarious outlook. <laughs> huh. Like, what? Really? uh magpie i mean these are most of these characters you won't have even heard of junkyard dog daedalus
1: magpie really yeah she's uh, like a fourth tier villain
0: anarchy oh I mean, anarchy. let me remind you in the comics was nothing but a ripoff of v from For Vever, vendetta, vendetta. Yeah, yeah. uh but After going, watching him here, I went back and read some of those comics. I'm like, wow, now I actually like the comics with him in it because this is just stupid. (laughs) He's nothing like that character. He's just so undefined. There was,
1: there was literally a storyline in the Batman comics where they killed off a bunch of the third tier villains because the whole mystery was why does anyone give a shit? Why does anyone give a shit that Orca's fu- turned up dead or that Crazy Quilt's gone? And one of the villains they killed off was Magpie.
0: <laughs> well, she's in this and lame. <laughs> uh, there's a League of Assassins that are in here. Oh, sure. my
1: God. Tell me Humpty Dumpty's not in this show. Humpty
0: Dumpty is in the show.
1: Oh, my God. Uh, it's just... I don't I, know a lot about comics but I know terrible Batman villains. Yeah. Humpty Dumpty belonged, not in a comic book, Humpty, Humpty Dumpty belonged in the 60s Batman TV show. Yeah, and
0: that's the thing is they're really making this more for kids. I mean, totally. They they just have lost interest on whether adults or even young adults like this show at all. You know, I mean, really it is, it is not for them. It is made for the very young. And I had a hard time even sticking with the, I think I watched five or six episodes of this and finally went, okay, I give up. This is not good.
1: So unlike some of the other Cartoon Network stuff that was unjustly canceled too soon.
0: This was justly canceled (laughs) soon enough. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things. It's another curiosity piece. Years from now, people will look back and go, wow, there was a CG Batman show with these characters. I kind of want to see that. And it'll be more interesting with as, as a sort of like, oh, look how stupid this is. <laughs> <laughs> but it just doesn't really work. Some people actually I talk to really like this, but I'm sorry, you're wrong.
1: <laughs> you are, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Incorrect. Yeah. Well, before we close the book entirely on animation, I feel like we need to talk about something that is rather mathematical. And that is Adventure Time Season 3.
0: Oh, I thought they were finally releasing the Pythagoras
1: Adventures. No, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. I know. I know we're all very disappointed. Adventure Time Season 3 is, you know, as I've looked back over the previous two seasons, I think this is my favorite season of the show because it has three of my favorite episodes in it. The first being the zombie episode, which That's I think is good one. hysterical. Yes. The other one being the one where they go into Finn's memory and see Finn as a baby because that baby dance song... Haunts my dreams. It's so hilarious, and I can't get it out of my head. It's actually become a running thing between my wife and I that she'll text me like the first couple lines from it, and then inevitably I'll have to finish it.
0: Oh, good lord! You're like Cartman with uh, with sailing sail away. away. Yeah. Wow,
1: okay. And then, of course, Fiona and Cake. This is the season that introduces everybody to the kind of gender swapped version of Jake and and Finn, which is Fiona and Cake, who I really like. Yeah, no, it's it's an excellent episode which also features Neil Patrick Harris as sort of the male version of Princess Bubblegum. So it's like all around, this this season has some of the best episodes. And what I really like about the season three Blu-ray is that they've put it out in a packaging that looks exactly like BMO, uh, Jake and Finn's living uh video game buddy. And it's it's so it's like a it's like a weird combination of a speak and say in a Game Boy. I don't know. It's, it's a very, it's a very strange character, but I like him a lot. Um, I just don't want my portable gaming devices to actually be sentient. No, that's what because I'm well, no, that's that's very true because you don't want them to tell people where you've been.
0: No, I, I certainly don't want my computer to be either because I don't want people to, it to tell people where I've been on there. Yeah, yeah. Hey,
1: you want to see Chris's search history? <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Take that computer. <laughs> Yeah, no, this is this is a great season, and I, I feel like if there's anything lacking in this release, it doesn't have quite, quite the same amount of cool features that the first two seasons did, but it has a really cool thing where they do the entire opening of the show in Legos.
0: Oh, that is cool.
1: Which I thought was really, really neat, and they do that thing again where they're doing commentaries for all the episodes, and it's clear that they just sat down and recorded one very long session with all the episodes, but I feel like they suffer for not having John DiMaggio. John DiMaggio made, you know, he's the guy that, that is the voice of Jake. He made the the first two season commentaries. Or I can't remember if it, he was he was on one of those two or maybe both. I can't remember, but he made those those commentaries so much fun. He was just such a blast. like he sounds like Jake, first of all. Like that's his just natural Which is speaking voice,
0: anyway. <laughs> but he's
1: he's just such a funny dude, and he's so much fun to listen to. I mean, he's like a, kind of an infectious energy to him, and I feel like they were really they were really hurting to not have it. And there's a very weird thing that happens. I don't know if we talked about this in the previous releases or not, but whenever they start talking about something that I guess the studio decided they shouldn't have in a commentary, it makes this like really unearthly noise, like digital interference where ghosts might be trying to come through your TV to block it out. And it's very unsettling.
0: That's weird. I was
1: like, okay, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this at all. What's happening? Uh, and there's also a fun interview, uh, that's called, uh, like how, how an idea becomes adventure time. And it's just, you know, Pendleton Ward and a couple of the other writers just kind of bullshitting. Like they're, they're, they're we giving. smoke a lot of pop. They do. And it's, <laughs> it's like imagine smoking like four bowls and then trying to pretend you're giving a standard interview. That's what this is.
0: And how they write the show.
1: Yeah, it's it's really funny, but even... There's th- no
0: way these guys are not high when they write the show. When
1: I met Pendleton Ward, I'm pretty sure he was stoned out of his mind. Th- I can't prove it, but I, I'm pretty sure he was. I think was. you can
0: scientifically prove that you could not write the show without the help of THC.
1: I, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Or, or LSD. But if you're a fan of the first two seasons, why the hell would you not buy this one? This one, again, has some of the best episodes it's got some really imaginative storylines and some really bold things that it does the packaging is really nice not quite as many special features but it still looks and sounds great in high definition so highest highest of recommendations here i want it well you can't have mine no it's you're mine
0: gonna, you're going to you will give nope. me your copy of adventure time season 3 you mm, resist
1: you will yeah. that sucks cuz now i have to <laughs> that's anyway good. speaking of, of things that manipulate us Game of Thrones season three is the next title we're going to talk about.
0: I do feel a little manipulated by Game of Thrones. I mean,
1: I didn't really mean... name thirty-two examples of re- of times that you felt manipulated by the storyline of Game of Thrones. I
0: didn't want to think that you were one of the best shows running on television right now, but goddamn it, almost every two, three minutes, you remind me of that. Yeah. It's so manipulative. <laughs> well, it's
1: just like, hey, you like it? you like this character? And they're dead. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm just like, you know what, you can't... I, I thought after the Ned Stark thing, I was like, I'm not going to fall for that again. I'm not going to... Hey, I like that guy. Hey, he's dead. Okay, well, I like that. Fuck you, R.R. Martin! Stop doing this to me! You can't play with my emotions like this! One of
0: my favorite internet memes ever, ever was that thing with the various creators going like, uh, talking about killing off characters and it always ends with George R.R. R. Martin going, you're adorable. <laughs> 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 uh, this third season uh, is... Uh really about the first half of a storm of swords mm-hmm. uh, from the books. Uh they they decided that in this particular case that this book was long and dense enough they needed to split it up into two seasons. Although from what I hear, season four is going to be using a lot borrowing a lot of stuff from uh the, the fourth book as well, just sort of just start integrating some of the new characters that are introduced into there into the main storyline. But here we're seeing a lot of stuff, uh, post the attack, the battle, the incredible battle of Blackwater on season two, where now the Lannisters are like, well, who's going to fuck with us now? See that shit? We're buddies with House Tyrell. Okay. Who've come in now with like, I can't, don't, don't remember the name of that actress who's playing the princess who they're trying to hook up. Oh yeah. She's so gorgeous. and Beautiful. so good at this. Beautiful. Just really great. But yeah, she's, uh, they're the masters of manipulation. I mean, they are the, like the ones with the, uh, the highest points put into spycraft basically. Yeah. <laughs> They're really good at it. You're just like, I would be nervous even having these people in the room. They're always smiling and happy and complimentary
1: and you know Right up until time. the point where they cut your throat.
0: Exactly. Uh Meanwhile, Tyrion is dealing with losing the power he had when he was the hand and that his dad is being a dick to him like he always was. Uh Jamie Landerster is on his way home and, and one of my favorite parts about this whole season was the fact that this is the redemption of Jamie Landerster, which you never would have thought in season one was possible, but by the end of season three, you're like, I can't help it. I kind of like that. <laughs>
1: no, Natalie Dormer is the oh, actress Natalie you're Dormer. thinking of, yes.
0: But uh, here he's forming a bond with his captor and road companion, Brienne of Tarth, who is the huge warrior woman. And he's. it's a
1: fun road movie, it's, it is,
0: it is a kind of a fun road movie, except for when it's not fun and it's bloody and dark,
1: which is a lot of the which time, which is
0: apparently a lot of the time. Uh, the Starks are losing the war, and boy. Do they have a situation that makes them uh pretty much become have lost the war as far as I'm concerned, in one famous episode called The Red Wedding.
1: <laughs> Red Wedding. Yeah, that's one of the most riveting moments in television history. I mean you could it indi- indicated by the fact that there is an entire meme online of filming people's reactions to watching the Red Wedding.
0: Yeah. Yeah, cause it is pretty shocking. Even I prepared for that it was going to be totally shocked, shocked by it was still like mouth hanging open. Like Jesus Christ. Uh, beyond the wall, Jon Snow is still out there. He's joined a, uh, some of the wildlings who have an army because the wildlings know the fucking zombies are not just coming. They're here. Yeah. <laughs> he goes
1: where the wildlings are.
0: Oh, nice. Uh, but, and he's got like a sort of relationship going with a wildling. That's all complicated. Daenerys Tar, Tar- Targan, who is, My favorite character on this entire show.
1: Oh my God, get... To her, oh, I'm, I'm, like, she's so good in this show, yeah. and her character is so awesome that all I want in every episode is for her to show up and fuck up some Lannisters, and I'm
0: keep waiting for that moment. And she has one of her greatest moments ever in the series with uh, dealing with a slave nation. And yeah. it's like...
1: The Unsullied.
0: Do not fuck with this bitch. She is, like, she's gone from, a like, a trembling teenage girl to, like, a major force to be reckoned with who's crafty and willing to fuck shit up.
1: She went from a fragile princess to a warrior queen.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And she is really incredible. Uh, now, the guy who gets it the worst out of anything here is Theon Greyjoy, though, who, yeah. in a bizarre
1: part of they this. They just story... keep dicking with him.
0: Oh, don't even go there. I'm sorry. In a bizarre part of the story is being tied up and tortured by the, this mysterious character. It's odd, and it goes on and on for episode after episode. You're like, what is the deal with the host- medieval hostel going on I here? I feel like
1: somebody named Greyjoy must have really pissed R.R. R. Martin off as a kid. Yeah. That's my only possible explanation here. Uh,
0: even so, this is still another just top notch season of the show. Uh, I, there's just nothing about the show I'm not enjoying really right now. It's. You know, if you like the first two, you're going to like this one just as much. I everybody's, some people are still like, when are we going to see more dragons? Well, you do see a lot more dragons in the season, and they're promising to a lot more dragons next season. So it takes them a while to grow up. I will say,
1: I, I agree, but I will say this about this season. If you thought nothing really happens in the first two seasons, which is wrong, but if your contention is it's boring, nothing really happens, no one can possibly say that about season three. Yeah, at all. There is shit happening in every fucking episode. Yeah,
0: very, very true. And of course, this being an HBO release for one of their most popular shows, I'm sure it is the mo- their most popular show. I think uh, t- tons of audio commentaries uh, in on-screen interface guides that, where you can click and learn more about the characters, lands, and histories of what's going on. Uh, there's I love it when they do this. There's a refresher course of season two, so you can watch that first because you know this story is so complex and dense. It helps a lot to watch up previously on Game of Thrones. <laughs> I wish every TV box set that came out would do that. It, it's just it seems like it's just polite. There's a 10 minute look at all the new uh characters. There's a in-depth um picture and picture experience for the Reigns of Castamere episode, uh, which, of course, is one of the ones that had everybody shocked. Um, deleted and extended scenes, uh, a animated history and lore videos that take a look at Westeros's history and mythology. Uh, look at the roots of all these feuds, alliances, rivalries, what have you, a look at the wildlings and a look at the politics of marriage. This has got a shit ton of bonus features on it as well. It should thank you. HBO for once again, putting out a completely solid quality product. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is going to be my pick of the week.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree. Uh, And I've actually put Reigns of Castamere as my ringtone on my phone, (laughs) so that when somebody calls me and people hear it, they run for their lives. The
0: Rings of Castamere.
1: The Rings of Castamere. Ah, ah. Well, I tell you what, that discussion has worked up my appetite, and now I'm looking forward to a little Afternoon Delight.
0: Afternoon Delight.
1: Or something. Something to that effect. Who sang that song? Uh, uh, Starlight, hmm, Mm -hmm. Sugarland, no.
0: No. (sighs) You know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, I do know, because Homer Simpson had a tattoo of it on his arm, and that's how I know the name of the band.
0: Afternoon Delight.
1: Skyrockets. Yeah, I was quoting lyrics, like, Afternoon specifically Delight. to it, but now I can't remember the name Something of the Something
0: I can't remember. No one wants to hear us stumbling around the history of 70s rock and Why roll. Why not? Uh, this, in fact, is a movie, not a old song that you don't care about because you like listening to- Starland Vocal Band. With no feeling. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, this is a 2013 comedy drama written and directed by Jill Soloway, who received the directing award at Sundance on 2013. In fact, Quentin Tarantino, for whatever it's worth, put this on his best of the year list. Tarantino every year has best of the year list. They'll have two movies. I'm like, yeah, of course. And then the rest are like, seriously, Quentin? No. <laughs> are these just your friends? And in this case, I suspect that might be the case because our lead character here is played by Catherine Hahn, somebody who Tarantino is been chumming around with for quite some time. But I will say this, this is a really interesting movie. It's not one I could see go by, but going back and revisiting and Catherine Hahn, for the first time in her career that I've seen is playing a role that has a great deal of drama and seriousness to it. I mean, she's mm-hmm. an actress we never see do anything, but really goofy comedy roles.
1: Yeah. Even, even the, her slightly darker turn in bad words, which we just saw yeah. was still pretty on par with what we've seen from her.
0: Exactly. And this is, she's playing the lead role of Rachel, who is a stay at home mom, but she's frustrated with just the realities of that. She had a dream at one point to do something real with her life. And now she's in this position where her husband uh, played by Josh Radnor is just a, you know, he he's working on apps. He's busy all the time. His business took off all of a sudden. And so he's constantly, he doesn't have time for, her. they don't have a sex life. She's revealed to her therapist, uh, uh, Jane played by Jane Lynch that you know, they haven't had sex in over six months. Um, and she doesn't want to know what to do. She feels like she's in a rut, but she also doesn't want to like look a gift horse in the mouth. She loves her husband, but realizes something has to change. She just doesn't know what to do with it. She's living in a community of largely Stepford wives, if you will. You know, this very Jewish community of women who all are in not entirely dissimilar situations from her. They're just, there's kind of a code about what you can do and what you can't do and what you can talk about, and what you can't talk about. It's just how it is. And when she shakes things up by Ending up going, suggesting to her husband they go to a strip club, just something to throw some spice into their relationship. She's given a lap dance by Juno Temple, who plays a character named McKenna. Well, she's distressed after the lap dance and demands they leave immediately, but can't stop thinking about McKenna to the point where she goes out, finds her near a little coffee stand near the strip club, pretends like it's just a coincidence they ended up there together, and forms a weird friendship with her to the point where she ends up inviting her to come into her house and live in their guest room. Huh. Okay. So here's where, for me, the movie takes a a turn into the I don't think so. Nobody would have gone along with this. In fact, I don't think that I had a hard time believing that this would have happened at all. I understand she's a little like she's very confused in her situation. She wants to bring spice into her life. And she's living to some point vicariously through this young stripper slash prostitute (laughs) and her adventures. It's an important slash there. Yeah, it is. But, it's hard to have sympathy for her past a certain point with the stuff that she does here. I, I, I uh, applaud Catherine Hahn for taking a role that's way outside of her comfort zone, and she does a really good job in it. Hell, she even gets totally naked in this several times, which is not something you would have expected from Catherine Hahn. Right. Um, but, uh, it's just not all that funny, and by the end of it, I was like, Really kind of the, so what we get from this is, yeah, that was stupid to invite a stripper slash prostitute to
1: live in your house. <laughs> Thank you for that lesson. We never would have been able to figure it out on our own.
0: I don't know. I just didn't particularly care for it that much. Uh, Juno Temple is doing a very similar role to the type of role she's done in the past. She plays a lot of the times, you know, skanky little jailbait characters. And this is not <laughs> any, not real different from what we've seen from her before. Hmm. I don't know. I just, I just couldn't really get behind it. I wanted to. I'd heard other good things about it. Like I said, it won the directing award at Sundance, but ultimately I just, I thought it felt a little hollow and, and just kind of pointless.
1: Fair enough. Mm. Not a lot of delight for Chris in Afternoon Delight.
0: No, except for, like I said, uh, I, I do find, I think Juno Temple is gorgeous. I always like seeing her and she's, when she's got the full cute on, it is easy to see how at least any male would be like, well, nobody's looking. Oh,
2: no, Lord. <laughs>
0: Anyway, this comes with a couple EPK type things. Uh, uh, For some reason, they decided to do a look at the house that the film is in. There's nothing really special about it. A bunch of featurettes. Are they trying um, to sell it or something? About 14 minutes of deleted scenes. Eh, You know, it's an okay package to put it together. But ultimately, this is one of those like watch it on Netflix movies.
1: Fair enough. Well, just for the hell of it, we're now going to bend your ear about Hellbenders, which is not a movie about those lizards, actually. Oh Yeah, sorry about that. I'm disappointed. This is actually the latest film from J.T. Petty, who I actually like, uh, and we saw a movie of his and Fantastic Fest a few years ago called uh, The Burrowers, which was sort of a strange and cool mixture of creature feature and Western.
0: Yeah, it was uh, uh, Tremors in the Old West.
1: Yeah, but not Tremors 4, which is also Tremors in the Old West. Yeah,
0: not, but that's a bad movie.
1: Yes. Burrowers is a good movie. Burrowers is good. Uh, so I was really looking forward to seeing Hellbenders. It's uh, essentially, I think it's it's based on a, a graphic novel uh, that J.T. Petty also put out uh, about these priests who form a very specific order called the Hellbound Saints. And their job is to continue to sin as much as possible so that they are always at any point damned so when they go to a situation where there are demons they invite the demons to come into them and then they kill themselves and they take the demon to hell with them yes so it's a very dedicated order of exorcists Which, to say the least i
0: was trying to figure out the math on that though i was looking at, i was like going wait so if they weren't – okay, the point is the reason the demon wants to go into them is because they're a man of God. So presumably once it gets inside them, then it's like, oh, shit, they are actually a man of God who sinned and they're, they go to hell. And so they die and they, they, if they die, the demons go back to hell. Which for one thing, you'd always think demons would be like, well, so
1: what? I'll just leave again. He's visiting yeah. home. Yeah,
0: I got out once. Yeah. But the other thing is like, so if they died, if they weren't like sinning, would that mean the demons would get to go to heaven? It's very confusing. Yeah. I don't really know how that works, but leave, enough, you know, <laughs> I, I'm overthinking it perhaps a little.
1: No, no, I think it was a matter of being underthought by Mr. Okay. Petty, unfortunately. Yeah, it didn't really make a lot of sense. No, and I, I like the concept of priests who, I mean, yeah, there's some logistical issues, but I kind of like the idea of, of priests who are so dedicated that they are willing to be men of God, but also be huge assholes because they are going to essentially be like, exorcist slash suicide bombers <laughs> like they're they're a very strange subsect but i'm i mean and this is a cast with clifton collins jr clifton collins jr who's been in a lot of movies and is really good uh clancy brown obviously is, is sort a legend. of a, a legend and um even andre royo from the wire is in this, as mm. well as dan fogler who's been getting a lot of work lately who i'm still kind of on the fence about yeah
0: he's like they're trying to paint him as the new funny fat guy. And, and, yeah. uh, so he's, far, he's no
1: Tyler Levine. That's so all I'm gonna f- say. Yeah,
0: he's no Tyler Levine is genuinely talented. Fogler just kind of always turns in the same performance regardless.
1: True story. Yeah. Um, so as the movie goes along, it starts off, there's a lot of fun interaction between Clifton Collins Jr., Clancy Brown, and the other hellbound saints. I mean, they are, they are living together in one place, and they are all technically, uh, you know, clergymen, but they're also, like, cursing at each other and drinking hardcore. And I think that was sort of, Supposed to be the, um, the the contradictory image or the juxtaposed image that, that kind of drove the story, but I felt like that got really old really fast.
0: It did. It got real old real fast. In fact, it, generally, they relied so much on that being the appeal of this film and the fact that 15 minutes into it, you were kind of ready for something to change that I think it kind of ruined the movie for me. Yeah. Um, you felt like you were watching just another bad party movie because the movie takes so much like, Oh shit, it's time for us to do something. You never see a guy in a priest outfit do, you know, like that's, that was the, the appeal they were chasing after. Whereas the concept felt like as silly as it might be, felt like there was so much more opportunity for cool story stuff to happen. They just didn't explore it. Yeah. You know about the best scene of the whole thing is where, uh, uh, female exorcist and, uh, 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 the the gay exorcist
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, go and try and take the demon out of this mongoloid child who has been locked as possessed into uh, a cellar for twenty five years. Yeah. Or 30 years, I can't yeah. remember. Uh, there's, uh, it, it's kind of a fun scene, and it shows how dangerous their job is, and yada yada. But that was the only scene in the whole movie that grabbed me or really had me sit up at all.
1: Yeah, and the, the rest of the movie is, is very repetitive. I mean, I don't think I have seen... Clancy Brown says the word cocksucker more than Ian McShane in a given episode of Deadwood. Yeah. It's a little... Like, I get what you're going for, but can't you just write some better insults? Can't you just write some more interesting dialogue? And, and I... I was really surprised that this came from JT Petty, honestly. Like, nothing about it really felt inspired at all. It just felt like so flat and, and lifeless. Sloppy. Even. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of points where it's, it's sloppy.
0: The only, like, real running, um, thread with any emotion to it, you, sh- you seem to be with care, you know, uh, among the characters that they want you to connect to is that Clifton Collins Jr., even though he's married to a woman who seems to be perfectly nice in this thing, he uh, is constantly trying to hook up with, along with Dan Fogler, which is done for joke, but he's tr- constantly trying to hook up again with the one female exorcist and they try and get some amount of emotional impact out of that. But there, believe me, There's not a shred of it. It doesn't work at all. Partially because none of these guys are even the tiniest bit likable, either in a like, haha, that's funny. Look how cool they are in a bad boy sort of way or in a, wow, in this cool, they're trying to save the world way. It just, none of it seems realistic
1: or. Well, they try to have their cake and eat it too with that storyline where it's like, he's trying to commit adultery to continue to sin, but he's also trying to stay with his wife. And it gets to the point where it's like, but I don't, I can't get behind that character one way or the other. Like, you're playing it for laughs, you're playing it seriously. I can't get behind a character who is intentionally cheating on his wife who he plans to stay with just so he can keep sinning and be part of it. Like, it just, like, none of it felt... Like it gelled. None of it felt like it was well constructed, and and I I, overall I was just like and the
0: structure as well. There's lots of stuff that it like just throws out facts in their universe at you that sometimes mean nothing in there, and they don't even they don't even really make sense with everything you've been told. Or other times they're apparently a plot element, but then why were they even there? Like there was a bit where one demon vomited up like a silver necklace. Like apparently they sometimes vomit up random items, and Clifton Collins Jr. gives it to. Uh, the, the girl priest and that apparently has something to do with her being possessed or something. It's never really clear what that had to do with anything. Uh, (laughs) you know, but why was it even there? I don't know. Also, lots of stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Also unclear is why this movie was released in 3d. Yeah.
0: Not a lot of stuff in here that even feels like it goes that way. No, I don't know. This is, it's sad because the trailer looked like a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really not.
0: It's really not. The
1: only thing that could have saved this movie as, as flawed as it is would have been if it was just, you know, a riot, if it was just a great time. And fortunately, it's really not. It's, it's mixed up in so many ways. There are even parts where tonally it can't make up its mind. And
0: And, and it rips off much better films. There's a whole sequence where they're trying to do the, the whole sequence from Ghostbusters where the, the city official comes in and wants to set, shut them down. They try to run through that routine of going on to, to develop the plot. And, Boy, does it not work. It's no. it's like the equivalent of that, except that the guy in question just sits there while a bunch of priests call him a cocksucker and he gets considerably more shocked.
1: It's true. Like, this man has no cock. It's
0: a joke that, joke that goes on and on and on. Oh, yeah. No, this is a skip it. I,
1: yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to have to call it a skip it as well. But moving on from there, from Hellbenders to Battle of the Damned.
0: <laughs> I'm s- sad you didn't get a copy of this one.
1: Brian. Yeah, what is this?
0: This is Dolph Lundgren. versus zombies versus robots. Come on! I know, right? What the fuck, man? How did you miss getting a copy of this one? Oh. Now that being said...
1: <laughs> I'm going to fire my assistant, who I don't have.
0: This is not what you would call a classic of genre filmmaking or action filmmaking. Well, you said
1: Dolph Lundgren, and it's not 1987, so I pretty much figured that out. Well, the guy
0: puts out a new movie every four months, direct-to-DVD at this point. Yeah, uh, him, him and Steve
1: more. Austin from the WWE. Like, just
0: They just keep shoving them out, and most of them are just terrible This one, although, once again, Dolph Lundgren looks like he is half asleep through this entire film. And and part of the problem with Lundgren as an action star is he doesn't really have much of the way of, like, style as a fighter. He's just kind of big, and he punches and kicks people, and there's nothing really... It looks like something you could easily train someone who had no fighting skill at all to do on camera, quite frankly.
1: And it's funny, I'm looking at the cover of this Blu-ray, and Dolph Lundgren looks like somebody left Harrison Ford on a radiator too long. (laughs)
0: And he started, his face started to melt. His face is melting. <laughs> the idea be, is here that in Thailand, in a city in Thailand, uh, there's a deadly viral outbreak that, of course, turns people into crazed, like uh, 20 days later type zombies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolph is sent in by a rich guy to go, basically, with his whole team. To go find his daughter, who apparently is somewhere in the city. Dolph goes on with his team, uh, to discover, in fact, the daughter and a group of survivors who aren't really happy about him being there. She's not really happy about him being there. And part of the reason is because he's only supposed to grab her. And turns out she's pregnant from one of the other survivors. So complications ensue. Of course, the leader of the survivors is a complete, like, power. Like, he's like the governor, except hasn't had enough time to be that douchey. Mm. <laughs> like the governor from The Walking Dead, right, 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 um, and it's competently filmed. More than competently, it's a decently filmed action little action movie with the lots of blood as they're constantly just stabbing and beheading and shooting zombies everywhere. I mean, these are the fast moving zombies because they're not dead; they're viral infected, uh and all the soldiers but Dolph are picked out off on, in the first 20 minutes of this film, pretty much. It's just Dolph after that. The real appeal isn't till after that point and when he meets up with these survivors when just out of fucking nowhere in this movie, like what? There's all these Terminator robots walking through the city that apparently were activated by accident
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and are out there killing zombies but, you know, are trained not to kill humans Like, and so they become Dolph's new army of killer robots, which is pretty fucking cool, I gotta say. (laughs) (laughs) There's a point where he goes all A-team on them and puts them all like, weld spikes all over them and (laughs) shit. It's like, okay, that's cool. This is, like I said, it's a total, it's a Z-grade action movie in its way, but I had fun with it for what it's worth. It takes a little while to become anything but what you've seen before, but, you know, come on, Dolph versus robots versus zombies. And yes, there are points where he has to fight the robots too, of course, but Yeah, uh, you know, right from the start, like Brian Salisbury just did, whether or not this is a movie that is going to be interesting to you. (laughs) So if you felt that way, you're probably going to like Battle of the Dam for what it's worth. But it's still the type of thing you're probably more likely to rent, uh, watch on Netflix or rent from Redbox, than to bother owning. Um, yeah, like I said, had fun with it, but to a limited extent. I it makes you. It's almost like one of those is enough good here that you're like, wow, they put a little bit more effort into this. Cast maybe another couple character actors that you really love and recognize. This could have been something really special, but as it is, <laughs> you know, it is what I'm going to
1: see the shit out of this room. <laughs> I can't, can't wait.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, see, there's a bloody robot for you there. I
1: know. It looks like
0: a <laughs> trash can. <laughs> <laughs> looks like- they're actually surprisingly well done, the robots in here. They are pretty silly looking, but when they actually have them doing action, they're like, oh, they did a great job with that.
1: So- it looks like somebody stuck bigger arms on the little floating robot from uh, the black hole. It does. So, so...
0: Yeah, and painted him white.
1: And painted him white because... Gave him a cyborg guy. Well, it's a new skin because it's the 5.0. Oh, so, well, of course, yeah. yeah. It's
0: apples making it now. Yeah, yeah.
1: definitely. <laughs> well, from... <laughs> Sorry. From Battle of the Damned. Oh, oh God. Who knows what title we shall talk about next? The Shadow Knows.
0: Really? Well, ask the Shadow. What's the title?
1: What what title are we going to... Oh, he said the Shadow. We're covering the Shadow. Oh,
0: oh, I see. I see. So it was a joke. You weren't actually...
1: That's why joke is... uh Yeah. <laughs> The Shadow fun. (laughs) (laughs) This is Shout Factory's release of the 1994 superhero film, The Shadow, based on the comic, based on the radio play, based on a character who has been around longer than most of us can count, and this, uh, you know what, I gotta say, I have a huge soft spot in my heart for the sort of... Lesser known superheroes of the 90s, whether they were, uh, you know, something that was called from a comic strip like Dick Tracy or the Phantom or taken from old radio plays like The Shadow or the Rocketeer or, you know, the comic book, The Rocketeer or just made up entirely like Darkman. There's something so fun about sort of the, the B squad of superheroes. From the 90s, and this is my absolute favorite. This was uh, directed by Russell Mulcahy, who also directed the exploitation film Razorback, which <laughs> is one of my favorite of that genre of film. And I don't know, like, I-, I will say I wouldn't call myself an expert on the character. I used to listen to uh, reruns of, well, obviously reruns because I'm not 80 years old, but I used to listen to the Shadow radio show with my dad, you know, yeah. in the car when we were going church. Yeah, with Orson Welles. And I was just like, wow, this guy's really cool. And then I remember (laughs) – I remember one time – like I love this movie so much that one time when I was sick, my dad read me – like the TV wasn't working. My dad read me the novelization – of the Shadow with Alec Baldwin.
0: You know, now that I've actually met your dad, I've heard so many stories about him. I got to say, yeah, he is an awesome dude. Yeah, I like your dad a lot. Super cool. He well, thanks for saying he that. He's very nice. cool guy.
1: He's he's he really is, and he's the reason that I am the the geek I am today. And I'm very proud of that. And this is one of those movies that we like. We used to we used to bond over. Like we used to watch this all the time. And I got to say, revisiting it now, I still love everything about it. Like there are things that don't work, sure, but I feel like the overall ambition and how hard they were trying to stick to what made that character great was was really admirable considering most people who went to see this movie had no idea who the fuck the shadow was in the first place well, of course
0: ironically like the the originally the shadow was one of the first real superheroes and batman later created by bob kane was kind of a blatant rip off of what they were doing in yeah. a lot of ways the iron- irony comes in with this movie which followed the success of tim burton's batman which is totally a rip off of that movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's cyclical it, it really it's, it's,
0: is it's to the point where like it's a little startling at moments of this film how much it's ripping off the batman at least in its visual a lot of its visual ideas but it does a lot of truly unique and Beautiful visual stuff along the way as well. And I love that it's a period piece. The oh, yeah. The story here follows Alec Baldwin, starting from a point that even the comic and the original, uh, you know, radio series never went. Reinventing the character to where his, his American character, Lamont Cranston, was a villain in Tibet. <laughs> After First World War, who was like a drug lord and was
1: Yeah, murderous. he was the head of the League of Shadows.
0: Pretty much. Yeah. And he's abducted by a good Tibetan guy who's like, no, you've, you've done your, your bit of being villainous. Uh, now we're going to force you to be a good guy. Switch to seven years later. He's back in New York City. Now he's a good guy, but he has become the shadow indeed, a superhero who uses the abilities he learned in Tibet, which is the power to cloud men's minds yeah. through hypnotism. And let's face it. Um, pretty much magic.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it totally is. His his power is that he can convince people. He's, it's it's a really great power to have, especially if you're a geek, is to convince people you're not there. Yeah, you know, it's just like all, all of a sudden people don't see him, but they hear his voice. He can he can convince them of things. He's, it's almost like a like a Professor Xavier meets Bruce Wayne type of type yeah, of deal. well yeah,
0: or even like a like a Jedi Knight in the sense yeah, that there like you can go. look right at you and tell you what you know these are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah, uh, and yeah, he gets in fights where people can't see him. You as the audience see him. will pierce sorta for a second when he punches them and then he's gone again and he plays it very Batman-y that he's like laughing and saying scary stuff and everyone's frightened Is is the shadow even real? you know a very big, black, flowing black cape They used to great extent with him going whoosh and whooshing it in front of his face for tra- scene transitions. But he's got,
1: like, this bandana and this, like, old Western hat. He looks like some kind of bandit with a cape. It's
0: odd. It was an odd decision to do this thing where one of the—which th- is strange considering people don't generally actually see him. But what- whatever he decides, he's going to be the shadow instead of Lamont Cranston or Bruce Wayne, if you will— uh, he his whole face literally changes to another guy's face that looks terrible. Well, it's it's the nose. <laughs>
1: it's the nose. The shadow's nose, in fact. Oh, that's nice. the issue. Like the difference between you know Alec Baldwin as Lamont Cranston and Alec Baldwin as the Shadow is when he makes the transformation, his nose becomes huge, and it's almost just to support the bandana. I know, right? But like,
0: it's like I'm- what the. Fuck they attached Velcro at the bottom of it or something. I don't know what the deal is. But yeah, I, even when he takes off the bandana, though, they've redone his lips and his chin. I'm like, bizarre. why? He's wearing a cover-up on his face. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Now no one will recognize him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's invisible. He's wearing a bandana, but he's still see. It doesn't make a lot of sense. what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, Robin just puts on a little black around his his yeah. eyebrows, well, it's and so, nobody like, knows. The shadow
0: believes in multiple levels of redundancies. <laughs> but he's in New York with his whole team of sort of like Sherlock Holmes's like crew of like uh, Baker Street irregulars anybody who he saves he goes okay now you work for me I saved your life I own you
1: uh, the that's lead how we got most of our employees for one of us oh right? yeah, yeah totally
0: is that way the lead one of which is played by the lovely Peter Boyle who is like, as they said in the extras here kind of they did it because he played a t- a, another taxi cab driver and, and taxi driver and they're like we wanted to have a little wink and a nod to that because he plays his personal driver a cab driver here uh, but every Everything is shaken up in his life first when he meets the gorgeous Penelope Ann Miller's character Margot Lane, who is the daughter of a kind of goofy scientist played by a younger Ian McKellen. Uh, She shakes up his life because she is completely immune to his abilities at all and appears to have very deep psychic powers of her own, although she's largely unaware of them. The main distressing thing, though, is a villain that comes to town, (laughs) basically the, the son of or a descendant of... Of Genghis Khan, played by John Lone.
1: So good. He's so good as a villain.
0: Well, he had come from the last emperor. Yeah. Like, before this, like, winning awards for his performance of that goes to the Shadow. You're like, damn. (laughs) And yeah, he's a great villain. And he basically has the same type powers that uh, the Shadow does, except, like, Mark II. Yeah. Like, he can literally (laughs) make whole buildings disappear.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty impressive.
0: You know, this is a fun, as you said, it's one of the B-roll uh, of uh, superhero movies from this period of time. And it's still a lot of fun, but I found ultimately the story was kind of flawed. It's It's just... It's not that involving a story, but what it doesn't have in there, makes up for in spades with Alec Baldwin just having a great time with the role, with tremendous art direction. Just yeah. tremendous art direction. It's just so beautiful to look at. Uh, and, like, this one sequence in here where there's a dream sequence with uh, Penelope Ann Mir- uh, Miller and Alec Baldwin that has some stuff in it that's just so inventive and gorgeous. I was like, okay, I, I gotta give the movie an extra star just for that. And,
1: and made, as they talk about in the special features, made right At the dawn of digital effects. So, most of the stuff they do in this movie is completely practical. And, and not only that, but Jerry Goldsmith does the score. Yeah. And it's a great fucking superhero score by Jerry Goldsmith. It,
0: it actually really is. There's so many good things about this movie, but you can see why this wasn't, uh, didn't turn into a hit. It does have a lot of problems. Like I said, the plot is overly familiar. I mean, it involves a bomb for Christ's sakes, you know, like a giant super bomb that he builds and how some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, it's, Sometimes it's too silly. Sometimes it's too serious and it has trouble finding the mixture between the two in a way that, uh, Tim Burton's Batman did somewhat effortlessly. So this is a flawed movie, but it's still so much fun. In some ways, the, the, the problems just with it just make it a little that much more charming. And yeah, I would put it, I'd put it right at the same level for me as The Rocketeer, The Phantom, Mm -hmm. uh, go like these are movies that are pretty decent little superhero movies, but it's really obvious why they weren't hits. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it, yeah, it has, like I said, it has flaws, but I, I feel like the ambition on this film and what they were trying to achieve and what they did achieve in the process is staggering. And I, I think, first of all... It looks really great on Blu ray. I was really kind of concerned that, you know, we'd get sort of a half assed transfer because it's a movie that's been largely forgotten about. No, it looks great. But it really does look fantastic and that just allows the production design to shine and uh there's some really I love that they took the time to make a brand new special feature, a brand new interview with Alec Baldwin, Penelope Ann Miller with the director. Um Yeah, and it's just it's Yeah, it's, a long
0: one too. Twenty three minutes. Yeah,
1: it's not it's not brief. Um but yeah, this is this is a really great release and fans of this movie I think this is this is a must-own. Absolutely a must-own.
0: Well, it's certainly another good quality release from Shout Factory and a movie I hadn't seen since it came out, and I was glad to revisit it. I, I feel basically the same way about it now as I did then, that it's a cute little movie. It's a decent movie with some stuff in it that's quite spectacular, but... You know, it's, it is still a footnote in the history of superhero movies, for me at least.
1: Until we bring it back, guys! Come on!
0: Let's all become Agents of the Shadow! There was a run, and I wish I could remember who did it. I wanna say it was Howard Chaykin, but in the, in the 90s on the Shadow comic books that was fucking amazing it was so good and it was going more into a lot of the elements in this movie like the baker street irregulars aspect of it and the whole weird mysticality of things it really got into that and it had this great sense of humor and it was it was just so good and i wish i could find where my old issues of it were i think i lost them and somewhere along the line because it was so much fun
1: i remember writing an article a couple of years ago about how i wanted the sequel for this movie to be directed by david cronenberg and I wanted it to be a movie about how the shadow's abilities have gotten out of control to where he's literally fading into his own shadow. Ooh. So he's like, he's like, like, it's like a mutation and it's really painful and and terrifying. It's and I'm like...
0: fly, but with the shadow. Pretty
1: much. And yeah. I was like, God, Cronenberg during that movie would be fucking amazing. But so anyway... He's losing
0: his identity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But instead we get Cosmopolis. Yeah, well. Oh, well.
0: Cronenberg has been replaced by a lizard person. <laughs> This is a fact, and you can look it up.
1: Well, uh, instead of invoking hatred from those (laughs) David Cronenberg fans that uh, still think he is flawless, let's talk about the invoking. Uh, Which is a thing, yes?
0: Yeah, uh, it's a thing. Uh, Look, this sounded fun (laughs) to me.
1: This sounded fun.
0: You know what? There was a time that I used to review everything I got. Like I, you know, because I wasn't on every list, I didn't get giant stacks of stuff the way we do now. So I'd, you know, if they sent it to me, I'd review it, and I was always really pleased to get a chance to take a look at some of the really indie stuff. Because every once in a while, you were really happy to report that this tiny little thing turned out to be a gem and something to keep an eye on. Everyone involved
1: with, like Resolution, for example. The Invoking
0: is not one of those films. <laughs> now, I will say this. They made it for $11,000. And that's actually, you know, despite the fact it's clear, it's very low budget. That's surprising for almost any movie these days that you could do that for eleven thousand uh, dollars, but that doesn't mean that this movie is any good at all. <laughs> the idea here is a woman named Sam. Uh, she finds out that she's been she was adopted and that she in fact inherited a house from her late aunt, who she you know apparently as we found out she had met at one point, but not since she was five and she didn't remember any of that pre-adopt adopted stuff uh so she grabs a couple friends and drives out to the house we've seen this exact plot before a couple times now i think texas chainsaw massacre the last one had the exact same plot yeah it did <laughs> uh but th- this thank god is not the same movie as that well, actually you know what that's a much better movie so never mind oh my god i know i know right dude well at least that has like a what's her name uh alexander daddario in it, yeah who is so hot she actually is now listed under the Wikipedia entry for the sun.
1: <laughs> you should, you should work on that pickup line a little bit. More.
0: Uh, but she goes out there with them and they start, she starts having little hallucinatory experiences where she's seeing people who are clearly her father and mother who, who she doesn't remember at all fighting, except for some reason, I don't know if it's because they couldn't afford more cast, but they had it where like the other, her other friends, when she sees this happening, they are her other friends. Like, like playing those roles, which is very confusing, considering that sometimes it makes it clear that or most of the movie, it makes it clear that it's it's not them at all because she'll walk out of the room where she just saw something, and those friends are in in the other room mm-hmm. uh, and then towards the end of the movie, it's like well, they actually become those people for some reason it's very what? it's very, very poorly written <laughs> like like what? there's no con uh, you know continuation of like of their mythology at all here. It's just kind of thrown to the screen. She's slowly going crazy from this. Meanwhile, there's this guy who shows up. It's like, oh, I'm the caretaker of the house. I'm friends with your aunt. And right off the bat, you know, something's kind of broken about him. He's like, oh, we were friends when we were really little. I was really in love with you when we were little kids. You're like, gee, this won't go anywhere horrible. Well, too bad I gotta go. There are no surprises in here at all, except, quite frankly, just how poorly written this thing is. I mean, the actors do the best they can, which isn't terribly great, with this Script which makes no sense, and when, by the time you get to the end, you have the, you get the gist of what's going on, but it's not like oh, it's more creepy because you don't really know. No, it's just <laughs> stupider because you don't really know. It's just <laughs> poor writing. It's just a bad, bad movie with no real effects or interesting plot elements to speak of. And with a story that's supposed to involve, like, a a creepy past, the fact that it never really tells you what the fuck happened in the past at all is a problem. Yeah, <laughs> when yeah, that's all you've problem. got going for you, is that trying to involve, figure out what the mystery is, you can't not solve the mystery. So, this one is a, a special kind of fuck you to a movie <laughs> that does this. It's truly <laughs> terrible, and I hope just whoever wrote this, like, looks for another career choice, quite <laughs> frankly. This is, it's just bad. I'm sorry.
1: Chris invokes the right to fuck you. the invoking. I invoke
0: the sacred right to fuck you.
1: <laughs> well, from there, why don't we talk about another uh, Shout Factory release, or rather a Scream Factory release this week. A double feature Blu-ray of Bad Dreams and Visiting Hours. Now, this is a, a re-release on Blu-ray of something they put out on DVD a few years ago. Uh, I'm going to start with... With visiting hours on this because it is the lesser of the two movies, but that being said, visiting hours is not a bad film. Visiting hours is a movie that stars uh, Michael Ironside. Yay! Yeah, and he's really, really fucking terrifying in this movie. It's it's about a serial killer who is stalking uh, a reporter. It's supposedly based on something that she was she was covering in the way of like domestic abuse. And as the movie goes on, we kind of learn that Michael Ironside's past is just a really like terrifying place of skeletons and 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 horrible things that have happened to him and so he's kind of become okay I will compare this I'll compare this movie to maniac with uh with Joe Spinell because the whole movie is kind of about digging into and spending a lot of time with a serial killer digging into the psyche of a serial killer and it's a it's a it's a character piece it is definitely a vehicle for performance it's you know visiting hours is a little bit more of a traditional slasher film than was maniac but it's—they're both about the idea of spending time with this killer and kind of getting to know them on like a, even a daily routine level. Getting to
0: know you, getting, getting to, to know everything about you, and all your victims, digging up your bodies in the backyard.
1: Yeah, it's—it's it's a lot like that. But but Ironside is so good at creating this just really emotionless. But still multifaceted villain in, in the uh, the character he plays is Colt Hawker, which sounds like an action hero, but he's actually a serial killer. Um, right so, after
0: he shoots, he spits on the ground.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he he is stalking this woman, uh, played by Lee Grant, throughout the whole movie. And then for some reason, it's not really explained. There's a shift. Where he's then, because st- the movie's called Visiting Hours because he attacks the woman in her home, fails to kill her, and then keeps stalking her at the hospital. Now this is much better than the other Scream Factory hospital DVD thing that we watched. It was yeah. another double feature. I can't remember the name of it was. Uh, but this is much better than that. This is actually a film that is, is constructed pretty well and has a lot of the, the fun stuff that we like from 80s horror movies. But then out of nowhere, he shifts his attention from the reporter to her nurse and starts stalking her nurse even though the reporter is still alive. It's a very weird
0: nurses are hotter than reporters.
1: I guess that's what 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 we're supposed to believe was the reason for it. But it's it's fun and it's it's an interesting character piece and Michael Ironside elevates the material in a major way because he's just that damn good.
0: And William Shatner's in it.
1: William Shatner does have a brief appearance in the movie as sort of the 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 producer at the studio that, you know, that the reporter woman works at. And he's, he's doing his Shatner things. What? Is, like at the beginning of the movie, he literally has I was like, what the hell is she doing? Blah, blah, blah. Like doing, like doing all of the traditional Shatner stuff. And of course
0: he takes a second to kiss a green lady and
1: then he's yeah. on the screen. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As
0: as Shatner should. Wouldn't you love to re-edit every single Shatner movie with CG, everything he's ever appeared with, and then add the Star Trek scene, but just CG edit it so he looks like he does in that movie.
1: <laughs> I think we just launched a Tumblr.
0: I think that's a thing that should happen. <laughs>
1: Now, Bad Dreams, uh, the other film in this set from 1988, is a really badass uh, sort of supernatural – I don't even, it's not like everything else you've ever seen in terms of 80s horror films. It, if, if it has an exemplar, if it has anything that it can, you can kind of relate to it, it's a weird amalgam of like the Jonestown incident and Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Okay. Because the whole story revolves around this girl who was part of a cult in the 70s. And what happened was this cult staged a mass suicide where they all poured gasoline on themselves and set themselves on fire. Well, she managed to survive the fire. She was the only one that did. And she's been in a coma until, you know, 1988 when the movie takes place. And when she wakes up, she's dealing with the fact that she's having these visions of the cult leader, like, from beyond the grave telling her, like, you need to join us. Like, we can't cross over until you die with us
0: ironically right around the time the cult was going to popularity
1: yeah crazy <laughs> this is a love remover machine if ever there were one <laughs> so she is being stalked by the ghost of the cult leader who is a this is where the nightmare on elm street it's, it's almost like she's being stalked in her dreams except they're kind of daydreams by a burned psychopath. So, I mean, there's that, there's that kind of that comparison as well. But the whole movie takes place as she's in the, uh, kind of the mental ward of the hospital with these other head cases. Because they've determined she has borderline personality disorder, even though, I'm not sure what she did other than wake up from a coma to be like, oh, you woke up from a coma, so you clearly have borderline person. I guess because she was in the cult, they think she's a borderline personality, but... It's clear from the fact that she ran away when they were trying to kill themselves, and that's how she sh- she survived. That she's not exactly like them.
0: Well, in the eighties, it was really big to diagnose people with borderline personality disorder. So yeah.
1: they did like they like everybody in the room in this in this like help group is completely different, but somehow they all have borderline personality <laughs> disorder. Like they all have very different like. Quirks and 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 mental dysfunction, but they're all apparently borderline so personalities. If
0: you have any understanding
1: of psychology at all, then <laughs> you you might have some scientific issues with this film. It, it's not quite right. But what what's so cool about this film is just watching the way that they kind of blend her visions in with the real world, and the and he starts the the cult leader starts from beyond the grave, knocking off the other members of this support group, is really all she has in the whole world to try and, like, convince her, like, we, you're going to you're going to come over with us. Like, you're going to die. And it culminates into a really awesome ending on the hospital roof. And I don't want to give anything away, but this is a gem. This is one of those movies that you've probably never heard of from the 80s but really deserves your attention. I really think this is one of those lost 80s horror classics. And I, you know, I actually got a chance to see this a long time ago. Like, Luke and I happened to come across a VHS. Album. I'm like, what's this? We'll check it out. And I was like, "Wow, this is really fucking good. Why aren't more people talking about this movie? It's got a great cast. The uh, the bad guy is played not by Rutger Hauer, although throughout <laughs> most of the movie, you'll be convinced that it is Rutger Hauer because
0: Richard Lynch looks a lot like Rutger Hauer when he was younger.
1: He he really did, and he's he's great in the movie. Uh, Harris Eulin, who you've seen in everything from Scarface to the guy the guy is one of those character actors that you literally see everywhere. He's really great in it. Jennifer Rubin, who is the star of the film." Um, I, she's been in a, she's been in a few things here and there, but nothing that I, I really can say that I, that I've seen. She's kind of faded into obscurity a little bit, which is unfortunate because she does a really great job here. But I also like that, uh, EG Daly is in this film. (laughs) The voice of Buttercup. Yes, the voice of Buttercup on the Powerpuff Girls and Tommy Pickles on the Rugrats, <laughs> and it's it's just fun. oh, and I think she's Dottie on uh, I think she's Dottie in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, she was um, in
0: Babe: Pig in the City as a voice as well.
1: Yep. Well, they, yeah. there you have it. it. It's funny too for her to to it sounds weird but for her to play a real person and not just be doing the voice for a cartoon. I, I always get thrown for a loop whenever I see that. Uh, yeah, she was Dottie in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. But yeah, overall, just a really great movie, very under uh, very underseen. And I think it might have been because when this movie came out, you know, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise was still going strong with sequels. I think they were on like the fourth one or fifth one by this point. And I feel like people may have just been tuning out this kind of concept for a horror film. That would make sense. I mean, it is a knockoff of Nightmare on Elm Street. It, it is in a lot of But sometimes
0: knockoffs are just are, – are, are pretty good.
1: It, it uses – like it uses Nightmare on Elm Street as a launching pad, but it doesn't seek to rip off everything about Nightmare on Elm Street, which I think is what sets it apart from – like you know, if you ever watched the Turkish version of or the Indian version of Nightmare on Elm Street, where it's literally just uh, an unauthorized remake of the film.
0: Yeah, but with singing, with so singing. So I, there's at least I don't want to see that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really great movie and uh, well worth the price of admission for both these films. For this one alone, but like as I said, Visiting Hours has its charms as well. I think this is a really cool package of movies, and they went out of their way to to put special features on these that I. They do an interview with the director visiting hours that I'm just like I don't even think we need it to be this long. Like this guy talks a lot about his early life, and I'm just not that interested. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, we you direct appreciate the
0: extras, yeah, I appreciate no, that being there, but at the same time, only for the devoted.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> I, I <laughs> I'm just not as proud that you directed of unknown origin as you are. That's all I'm going to say, and you bring that up a lot. So there's there's that. I will also say that uh, Bad Dreams looks a lot better high-def transfer-wise than does Visiting Hours, so just keep that in mind. Fair enough. So that is that double feature from Scream Factory, and now we're going to move on to 22 Bullets. Not 21 Bullets, because no, I didn't that see, movie sucked. Well, I didn't okay. see the first 21 movies in this <laughs> franchise, so I feel like I'm going to be lost. Yeah, it takes a while. There's a, obviously a
0: very complicated plot involving a, a Jean Renault playing an assassin. Oh, wait. No, that's wait. every Jean Renault film. Yes, it is. No, Actually, he's not an assassin here. He is a mob lord that has to deal with assassins. This is, of course, produced by Luc Besson. Huge shocker there. Yeah,
1: everything <laughs> French and genre has to have his name on it anymore.
0: Yeah. Uh But, you know, I love Jean Reno. I love him. He adds something to every film he's in. And sure enough here, the biggest appeal is the fact that he is the lead character who has been... A formerly a major mobster. But now he said for like three years, he's been like, no, I'm done. I'm living a peaceful life. I have a wife. I have two kids. I just want to be a dad, you know, and retire. But unfortunately, he's ambushed in a parking lot and left for dead with how many bullets in his
1: body? Whoa, oh wait, 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 I can do this. 22.
0: Yes. Aha! You win the prize. Boom. I'm not having to see this film. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I, I exaggerate. It's not that bad. But uh, he survives, of course, because otherwise it would be a very short film. Yeah. And it's... He's like, you know what? I was, th- you know, they dragged me back in, as Al Pacino once said. Uh, <laughs> he's going to get revenge on his killers, of course. So he finds his way. He ba- There's an awesome scene where he goes into a, a, a dinner that all these guys who were there when, you know, who came in and, and shot him, uh, they're all having dinner and celebrating something else entirely. One of the guys' birthdays, he's like, I just want to let you all know that I'm going to kill each and every one of you. I'm going to kill all of you. So I'm going to give you some time to go ahead and tell your loved ones goodbye. Wow. But in the next few days, I'm coming for you. You won't know when, you won't know where. Uh, oh, and by the way, happy birthday. And then shoots the birthday guy right there and See, then what,
1: leaves. What people don't yeah. understand is that Jean Renault in French means big swinging dick. Yeah, it pretty much does.
0: And all these guys are just terrified of him. He was known as the maniac when he was running. That was his his uh, affectionate mobster nickname. But now he's known as the immortal, which is actually the original French title because he survived 22 bullets. With uh, These guys are like, he can't be killed. Uh, he gets in involved as well with a female uh police officer who wants to bring him down, but finds herself, as she starts to discover what's really happening in the situation, willing to work with the devil you know in order to take down the bigger devil, which is the mobster and former best friend of Jean Reno's character, who is the one who ordered the hit. Because when he left, his one commandment to him was when he basically sold off his half of the business, do not get involved in drugs. And we all know that mobsters tend to not deal with that
1: well. So one rule they're always given and the one they can't follow. See,
0: the thing about this movie is it's, this probably would have been a pretty great movie 10 or 15 years ago. Now we've seen so many movies like this. Yeah. There's some decent action in it. Nothing spectacular. Certainly not much in the way of fisticuffs. Uh, some even shooting scenes but the plot doesn't go absolutely anywhere you expect it to, uh, you know, not to. And, you know, I mean, really, the only real appeal is Jean Reno himself acting like this total unstoppable badass, but only as much as the movie tells you that he's a total unstoppable badass. I mean, there's some interesting hits, but nothing wildly elaborate. Like, there's no like Ocean's Eleveny type setups that you would hope for. Like, where wow, you had to go to a lot of trouble to take that or guy out. Leon
1: setups. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> it's
0: just. It kind of it moves quickly enough, but ultimately it's going through the same paces a thousand action movies before it have gone through and it just it's one of those like for for Jean Renault fans, you want to see another one with them playing this kind of role Here's one that's not going to insult your intelligence, but at the same time, there's nothing really special about it.
1: Well, that's a shame, hmm. but not surprising unfortunately, given the uh, contemporary best song titles so moving on from there to the last title of our show, which is also going to be part of our view. Yeah, we're going to talk about Homefront, starring Jason Statham and uh, an out-of-his-element James Franco.
0: Boy, is he. And, and talk about out-of-his-out-of-their-element. like <laughs> Kate Bosworth and Winona Ryder yeah. who were like, you know, maybe you should have just taken that season role on Justified instead of your weird <laughs> little roles in this movie.
1: <laughs> this is a film that I feel like came out to capitalize on the ending of Breaking Bad. Like, knowing that Breaking Bad was about to go off the air, that people were at, like, a heightened... That's the only way I can possibly explain, let's make a movie in which Jason Statham takes on meth dealers in the South.
0: Well, right now, uh, like, southern films, southern crime films, are huge. That's true. Now, usually they're southern gothic crime films. This is not a southern gothic crime film. This is a Jason Statham action film. And much like the last movie we were just talked about with John Renault, it is only for people who have outspokenly really like Jason Statham action films. yeah, no better or worse than your average Jason Statham film. It is what it is, which is Jason Statham kicking ass, not bothering to take names, and <laughs> being largely unstoppable in the, un- in the very effective way that the actor does on film. There's something about his style and whoever he chooses to work with, which gets that sort of like, Oh, crunch with the way he takes down people. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the strongest point of this film is obviously that, and what action scenes are here with him being a complete badass.
1: Yeah, the action scenes here are actually pretty brutal, which I was I was a fan of. I was you know I was like he is really hurting these people. It is not it is not pussyfooting around the violence. Yeah,
0: he plays a DEA agent as we see in the beginning, uh, who was undercover with a biker gang with
1: long hair. So he,
0: and he, looks the, so he looks so stupid. <laughs> Don't do that again, Jason
1: Statham. that's <laughs> all I'm saying. <laughs> it looks you went bald at fourteen for a reason, buddy.
0: Uh yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, right when you see him with long hair, you're like, oh, he's an undercover agent before the movie wants to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> like, clearly. Uh, but... That scenario plays out poorly for the bad guys. Uh, and flash two years later, he is retired, or at least temporarily retired. He moved out to the country with his young daughter, where he just wants to live a normal life and be a good guy. But the problem is, is that there's, well, rednecks
1: everywhere. And the way he gets embroiled in the criminal underworld of this town is probably the lamest setup I have ever seen. It
0: doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: There's a kid who bullies his daughter at school, and the daughter defends herself. And the redneck douchebag parents of that kid who gets his ass kicked by a girl decide that they're going to turn to their their local crime boss meth dealer brother, who's played by James Franco. Like, oh, go go fuck with this guy! Because, and even Franco, what I love, what I do love about this movie is as stupid as that setup is. When they go to Franco with it, he's like, "Really? <laughs> this is what you want me to waste my time on? Are you fucking kidding me?" Well, and the
0: oddest thing about this movie is that those characters end up being the movie turns into or tries to turn into sympathetic characters later like good guys you're like wait what
1: no i'm like fuck you and your fat redneck kid i don't care
0: <laughs> just like what just happened in this movie and part of the reason it tries to do that because it wants to show statham is not just a badass he's the guy who taught his daughter before she gets into starts fighting people Give them two chances and let them know that they're on their last chance before you wail and kick the shit out of
1: them. Yeah, she gave that fat kid every opportunity to just to just walk away.
0: They, she should have gotten a gold star for that. I'm Definitely. Sorry. Like most kids just launch out. She's like, did, I mean, way beyond most people's restraint, you know, for kids, much less adults. Yeah. Uh, Statham is the adult equivalent of that.
1: Yeah, that's actually endemic of my problem with most Jason Statham action movies. Why do people keep looking at Jason Statham and going, I'm going to fuck with that guy? I
0: I don't understand that, but I've been told by people who are sort of like bigger guys who are like into exercising or what have you, you know, obviously muscular guys, they get fucked with all the time. That's so bizarre to me. It's a it's an alpha male thing. It's like when you get to that level, there's that lizard brain thing with other people who consider themselves alpha males who find that person threatening just by the fact that they exist
1: there. Yeah. But you would think at some point you'd go, oh, there's no way I'm winning a fight. I should just not start one. Which would
0: explain completely why I am almost never threatened by anyone.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're Mm -hmm. like, look
0: at me. They go, that guy is not going to be a threat.
1: This is why we don't understand this thing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: They don't know I'm Batman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're Catman. Shut up. The
0: thing is, I really enjoyed watching Statham in this movie. I thought he was a lot of fun. I liked the way his character is written to have trying to show restraint. He's trying to be like he he goes so far out of his way to be nice to these people. Uh, but Franco, of course, once he's shown up, once he's humiliated by Statham in one sequence, he decides, well, that's it. This means war. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this guy and his daughter and everybody in a turn that. <sighs> Might make sense if there was something at stake for him, but yeah. there's not. Uh, he learned so quickly on that, boy, maybe I should just drop this whole thing. I'm kind of fucking up my whole livelihood by choosing to get revenge, which wasn't even personal <laughs> Yeah, against this guy. And Franco, like, all right, so you got James Franco, an actor who famously loves to play bigger than life characters and chew up the scenery. And he's playing a meth head, drug dealing kingpin redneck.
1: Named somebody, Gator because somebody saw Burt Reynolds' movies in the 70s. And
0: somebody told him, all right, dude, don't – just try and play it down to earth.
1: Yeah. Why would you do that? It, it makes zero, <laughs> zero sense. And and to the point that I feel like – when you, okay, when we watched the trailers for this movie, my first reaction was, there is no fucking way that I am possibly going to believe that James Franco is – Is a physical match For Jason Statham No
0: And the movie never asks you to Oh
1: either Funny enough They invent a way To get around that That makes Franco The most ineffectual villain In cinema He spends most of the movie Going Seriously What is going on (laughs) Will somebody fill me in On what's happening
0: So oblivious Uh, His girlfriend Is played by Winona Ryder Here who also Is kind of oblivious So if you're like You spend the movie going I'm sorry Why is Winona Ryder In this movie (laughs) Uh, And Kate Bosworth who is uh, the mother of the child early on, who is apparently she just wants to see what it's like to play this type of character because she is giving it her all being obnoxious. You know, anybody you see on any given redneck reality show, like tweaked out mom, (laughs) you know, that the movie unbelievably asks you to sympathize with later. I don't know. Like, despite all those problems, which I had kind of fun with because of how silly they all were. Yeah. I, the movie never stops moving. Uh, Statham is at his most likable here. He really is. This is the type of role that 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 he does without even having to wake up for, but you can't tell. He's just so good at it. And the action is at a pretty high level of quality. It's all filmed very well, and it really gives you that sort of taken type of crunches where you're like, dude, you just fucked up that guy's whole life.
1: And I love how jingoistic this movie. If you look at the Blu-ray cover yeah, of this movie. They
0: CG'd an American flag onto his jacket.
1: Onto Jason Statham, who is British. I know. I I know. What the fuck? <laughs> Make, like Not only is uh, like America the Beautiful not a theme of this movie at all, not only does the, the Homefront title make no sense, but they've actually photoshopped a damn American flag onto the back of their hero who is from Britain. It makes no sense. Uh, that, that should tell you everything you need to know about this movie. Just look at the cover, think about those things, and you pretty much have summed up the spectacle that is Homefront. Yeah. But it is an enjoyable spectacle to behold.
0: Yeah, if you go into this not expecting it, to be a take it serious good movie at all which is it cannot be those things by default then you might actually have a fun time like i said it's a jason statham movie expressly for big jason statham movie fans and it's one they're going to walk out going what i want from jason statham this movie actually does deliver in spades and does it quite well
1: definitely And that is actually just one of an entire Jason Statham prize pack that we're giving away this week. Oh my god! I know, if you like Statham, you're getting a triple feature prize pack of Jason Statham movies. You're getting a copy of Homefront on Blu-ray. You're getting a copy of Killer Elite on Blu-ray. And you're getting a copy of Death Race, which I actually legitimately love. That is W.S. Anderson's remake of *Death Race 2000*, and I dug the shit out of that movie. Yeah,
0: you're gonna want to snatch that one up.
1: Ah, the whole lock stock
0: awesome. and two smoking barrels. Of oh,
1: it. you're just causing chaos now. <laughs> oh, you, that that yeah, you're gonna start a war. You're really cranking out those jokes.
0: I'm just trying to transporter them to
1: you. I, I think they're all expendable, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I'm not a joke mechanic, so I don't know. I'm cranking them out. I said that. Um. Yeah. So, what was I talking Sorry. about? Oh, yeah. This prize pack: Homefront, Killer Elite, Death Race, all on Blu-ray. And as you know, the way we do our, our giveaways here is we do a creative writing prompt on Twitter. So make sure you're following the website at One of Us Net on Twitter. And what I want you to do for this one is I want you to cast Jason Statham in the most inappropriate role for Jason Statham that you can think of. If it's a remake of, let's say, it's a remake of, um, of The Rain Man, and you want. Jason Statham to play the Dustin Hoffman character.
0: A live-action version of Pinky and the Brain with him as the
1: brain. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. I want you to come up with something like that. I want you to tweet it at us, and I want you to hashtag that Statham giveaway, and we will pick our favorite. That person will win this prize. Make sure uh, that you are following us on Twitter, and this is open to U.S. residents only. I'm very sorry. I feel like I forget to say that every week. You son of a
0: bitch. Now Jason Statham's going to come after you.
1: Jason Statham is as American as they get, You're going to be
0: the ineffectual villain.
1: (laughs) Have you seen his jacket? He's an American boy. We know this already. Yeah, I
0: bet you he was as shocked as anyone was to see the cover of this. All the blue fuck did they put an American flag on my jacket? The only in America. <laughs>
1: Well, that's going to do it for this uh, episode of Digital Noise. Hope you guys have had as much fun as we have. Once again, you can find this show and all of our content on iTunes. Just search for one of us in the podcast section. You can follow this show on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast, or you can follow us individually. I'm at BryguySalisbury. I'm at Chris Cox Critic, And there is still a Luke Mullen at LD Mullen. Just want to throw that out Someday there.
0: Someday he'll be back.
1: He Asia. will be back. His, the movie he's working on is actually wrapping up, so hopefully we'll have Luke Mullen back very shortly. Uh, and also you can like the website on facebook Facebook facebook.com slash one of us net but that's going to do it for this week until next time i want to remind you that no release is too big no release is too small from criterion to catastrophe we review them all